Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Um, running late. Not literally. Oh, okay. But our podcasts are running late lately. Yes, yes. Uh, because last week's went up on Tuesday instead of Sunday. And this week's will go up on, this one you're hearing now didn't go up till Wednesday, mm-hmm. the 30th of October. Yeah. Uh, and that's because, well, we'll get to why that is. Yeah, yeah. Let's hold off on that. Um, but there's a reason. The reason is not incompetence like the like it usually is. This time it was purposeful. When you say incompetence like usual, you're talking about when I have somehow failed <laughs> to post it or or failed to post it correctly. No, no. I mean, I mean anything regarding like the website or the podcast. Anytime something is wrong, it's probably due to incompetence. Maybe our server. You know, maybe our security. Our company, server can be very incompetent. Perhaps. Kind of, yeah. Jeeves. <laughs> well done. Um, and then sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it is you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have and I think that's where it ends. I, I, I do all right. to, um, like, I'll do the, I'll edit the entire episode and then update the XML portion of it, like, with one, like, like, uh, <coughs> like the character in Office Space, like one decimal point off, oh, yeah. and then it won't, it won't show up. And I do that. We've been doing this for... Over six years. Well over six years, yes. And I've been handling the posting for... All of it? No, no, you did it for a long time. Oh, no, I did the posting, that's right. You, you always used, did the posting. You used to do the editing. So, yes. I've, yes, I've been handling posting the episodes. That's been my job since day one. Yeah. And I still make dumb mistakes every, like, four episodes. <laughs> when I edit more than one lesson, there are so many things required because i have to do the 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 post on the website i have to edit the show i have to run it through sound studio a little behind the curtain everybody Uh run it through sound studio do the xml (laughs) feed the whole deal our guest a fellow podcaster is nodding all the podcasters worth their salt know about sound studio unless they're working in a non-mac world which is uh fine i'm not i don't follow you uh but uh yeah and by the time the the thing gets edited it's like man i am i am winded like I can't sometimes I will edit the show over a couple of days and just and by the way, I don't edit my show any more than we edit this show. It's just I have to add music and it's like now I gotta run it through Sound Studio. Look at all this information I have to enter in about like, you know, how long it is and stuff. No thank you. Yeah. Well lately I get to edit the episode the past few weeks while I'm watching Masters of Sex. Okay. And that's helpful because Masters of Sex, despite being a show about sex that has lots of sex, is boring a lot of the time. Yeah. Editing (laughs) you and I talking is more interesting than the show Masters of Sex to you. And you already know what we're going to say. Yeah. I'm sticking with that show, but, oh, man, I don't know. I think it's one of those things I was telling you, Tyler, the other day, and we'll get our... Do you watch Guest? Do you watch Masters of Sex? I've been enjoying it, actually, yes. Yeah. it, It has such a good pilot... And then I feel like I'm watching every week, hoping that it fulfills the promise of that pilot. Fair. Um, anyway, we'll we'll get to more talks with our guests <laughs> later. We mm-hmm. have shit to get to. So everybody, fasten your tweakedaudio.com slash pretension earbuds. By the way, if you don't know, tweakedaudio.com slash pretension is where you go for professional quality uh, earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at a low, low price. What about and, blue? Uh, they do have blue. They've got blue now. Okay. You know what? I'm suddenly, I don't know that I've had a blue pair. <laughs> I don't think I have I've either. Had green. I have, oh, they do have blue. Okay. Yes. I've had the green ones. I've had, I know there's pink, right? There is a pink, yes. And the uh, the wood 
ones. Yes, are, the, the nice. wood grain. I believe they even have, don't they have like a camo one as well? Oh, yeah. I think they yeah, do. we got to get those. Yeah, they got to send us the camo yeah. ones. I didn't mean to derail I'm sick of you. people I just... knowing I have earbuds in. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that is, so that's uh, tweakedaudio.com slash pretension is where you get those earbuds for one third off because you know us and uh, no shipping charges. Uh, also, we have another another message here. From our friend Travis Betts. The last message. This is the, this is his final message. Yes. Um, uh, it's, uh, okay, I was trying to think of uh, some sort of final broadcast. Um, like some sort of famous final broadcast, but I couldn't think of one. Um, let's see. Walter Cronkite, did he say something? Uh, probably. I don't yeah. know. Probably um, really like touching and such. I was going to say, you know, you know I was gonna, this is his, his last message, like... Um, like Charlie and Lost writing Not Penny's Boat on his palm. Okay, that's what, the, that's, that's what this is like. Yeah. Okay. This is, you know what? This is Travis Betts, last surviving member of the BP sponsorship <laughs> crew, signing off. Yeah. That's what it is. That's from um, Alien. Yes. Stay tuned, everybody. Yes, that is. Um, and by the way, every time we bring up Charlie and Lost, we kind of spoil that. But it's been a long time at this point, right? Since the end oh, of season three. you mentioned three. that. I got a bit of a, a talking to on Facebook for spoiling the Maltese Falcon today. So, and then just now, 30 seconds ago, I got a, I got a Facebook message from that person, uh, effectively apologizing. Oh, so well, good because that person was in the wrong. No question about it. (laughs) Is the, is the Charlie spoiler a bigger spoiler than saying there's a plug in there? Is that? Wait, what? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think the Charlie thing is more emotional. Fair. It's so people do feel like, I don't know. Anyway, um, so, final message from Travis Betts before he signs off for good. Well, this is... Uh, I'm becoming Travis Betts. He's not Betts killing himself. But okay. I, I haven't read the message yet, so oh, I don't enough. know that. Fair Spoilers. Enough. Yeah, sorry. Travis is not killing himself. Okay, here. I'm, I'm Travis now. Well, this is it, folks. I could only afford a month of sponsorship, so this is goodbye. I only hope that perhaps one or two of my movies made your Halloween season a little darker. I'd like to thank... No, I'd like to take this time to once more point you in the direction of some original horror films for your viewing pl- pleasure. My supernatural musical, The Dead Inside, is a story of love, possession, ghosts, zombies, and songs. Ain't It Cool News says this indie gem should be seen by more people, and Film Threat claims The Dead Inside is a unique film, a horodrad musical experience that is hard to forget. Uh, you can rent it on iTunes and purchase on iTunes and Amazon.com. You can also check out more of my feature films, short films, and paper recreations of movie trailers and famous scenes on my website, TravisBetz.com. That's Travis, B-E-T-Z, dot com. Travis, traditional spelling. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I feel like at this point, we're sort of friends. So if you feel the same, then like my Facebook page and we can get a dialogue going. I That's dialogue the non-U-E spelling. It's dialogue ending in a G. Oh, damn right. Um, I post all my updates and new videos there, so you will never be out of the loop. You can find me at facebook.com slash darkreception. Thank you all for listening to my words, and thank you to Tyler and David, you're welcome, for speaking them with just the right inflections and beats. I shall miss you deeply. Happily, happy Halloween. Sincerely, Travis Betts. P.S. Please watch The Dead Inside. All right. Well, do you, when you write the word dialogue, do, do you end it with a G or do you add the U-E? Uh, U-E. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Certain spell checks tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, a, a catalog, I have that problem as well. Yeah, I, go, I can go either way on catalog. Yeah. I add the U-E. Yeah. yeah. I, think the, I think people who, who, are, kind, who are classy. I feel, I I feel better doing it. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel like I'm being more thorough. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll say, fav- I'll, I'll, I'll spell, uh, you know, favorite with a U. I don't do that. <laughs> so, um, um, I can't hear the word thorough without hearing Julianne Moore and Big yeah. Lebowski. He's a good man. And and thorough. thorough. <laughs> that performance doesn't get enough love in that it, film, it by should. the way. Like everybody is amazing in that and just, but she's pretty solid. Okay. We actually do have another sponsor that we want to tell you about uh, and we'll, we'll get to our guest in a second. He's already talked. Yeah, we get it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So this is a one time, there's a one week sponsorship. So listen up. Yeah, all right. Listen closely. This is the only time you're getting this. Yeah. Although you can find it, uh, you can find a, a, an ad on the, the BP website. So, okay. Uh, recently divorced. Okay. So this is for a movie called night beasts. All right. I'll talk more about that in a moment. I have a personal connection with this topic. All right. Recently divorced father, Charles Thomas played by Zach Galligan of gremlins fame decides to take his estranged son on a weekend hunting trip in the hopes of reconnecting. The two of them go to a cabin that Charles owns deep in the mountains where they come face to face with the legendary creature of native American lore called the Sasquatch. Night Beasts is written, produced, and directed by Wes Sullivan through his company Treehouse Pictures. Sullivan spent 20 years working as an animator on such films as Disney's Tarzan, Hercules, Home on the Range, and The Princess and the Frog. Night Beasts is available on demand for only $4.99. For information, just go to nightbeasts.com or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. Now, here's why this is interesting to me. Okay. So, and when I was... You can chime in, guest, but you can't say what your name is. Yet. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So, it's kind of how we exert power over you at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, okay, when I was in uh, sixth grade, I read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park, and uh, if you, and I don't have my paperback copy anymore, but if I did, you would notice that there's a little crease in the spine. If you were to, if you were to open to that crease, you would see a chapter uh, called simply Nedry, all right? It is the death of Dennis Nedry, and it is a horrible, awful, gruesome death. One could say the bad death of Dennis Nedry, and uh, I was so inspired <laughs> by that chapter that I was like, I want to write something. And I, like so many other, you know, uh, like young boys, I was fascinated by violence and gore and that kind of thing. Uh, yes, I had a few letters written home to my parents uh, because huh. the, the photos, I, the, the pictures I was drawing. And so um, I wasn't taking any photos. I'm not crazy. And so, uh, <laughs> so I wrote, I wrote a, uh, a 12-page story called Sasquatch. And it's about Bigfoot and he uh, kills a lot of people. But I thought, you know what, 12-page 12 pages is not enough to contain this story. Uh-huh. So I wrote a like a 65-page opus, which in sixth grade is pretty, you know, yeah. impressive. Maybe impressive isn't the right word. But, uh, but yeah, and so uh, – and I, and I think I had also just read Jaws, and Jaws uh, had like different parts to it. There are chapters, but then there were parts. So there's part one, and then there are like four chapters within that. Then there's part two. And so um, – so I thought it'd be really classy to have, you know, this 65 page thing be split up into parts. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, uh, and each, in each one, it's a diff it's, it's different characters and a different run in with a different Sasquatch. Cause it's a whole, you know, it's a whole thing. It's a whole species, not I just see, one, one being traipsing around. And they were, it was so insanely violent. It uh-huh. was just, I mean, there's no character there. I found early on that I enjoyed writing dialogue, but there was no, there was nothing there except constant unrelenting gore uh-huh. now here's the thing as time has gone on of course i disown this stupid story but i have retained uh my love of the idea of sasquatch 
just destroying people. Uh-huh. And so when I when we got the email about Night Beast, my first thought was like, uh oh. I know what this is and I know what this looks like. And so I was actually very, I have not, uh, I have not rented it yet uh, mm-hmm. because as you know, we have a, a, a policy about not watching the films of our sponsors because it puts us in a position of, you know, if we don't like it, we still have to push it and I don't want to do that. But, uh, but yeah. And so when the time comes and their sponsorship is over, am I going to be renting Night Beast? The answer is yes, I am going to be renting it because it looks, <laughs> it looks like a lot of fun. Now I wrote, I never had any letters home because I also wrote violent stories. Remember, one was about... Well, I drew pictures. Uh, that's what did it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I couldn't draw. One of my stories that I wrote it was timely for this time of year was about a, a bunch of essentially criminally insane people escaping on Halloween night and killing children. It was just them, like, decapitating children or yeah. bashing their skulls in. Like, Did you was, think you were really edgy because you're killing kids? Uh, <laughs> I think because I was a kid when I wrote it, I was like... That's who I I wrote characters who were like the people that I went to school with, and then I had them get killed. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't like I wasn't literally like visiting, you know, revenge on people. I could have, you know, yeah, I had it's plenty kind of, of enemies. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the one thing, this is a bit older, maybe a bit darker. So oh, hold good. on. Um, I again, I never got a letter home. One time in seventh grade. I might have ended up getting a letter home, but my uh, my parents found the story and read it before I turned it in. And um, it was a story um, that was about, like, a seventh-grade kid standing on an overpass ready to commit suicide as the first, like, the firemen and cops and then his, like, family shows up and are trying to get him to talk. And there's no dialogue in it at all. It was all what was – it was all the inner monologue of this kid. And then he jumps at the end. <laughs> That's you know what. Here's the thing: were, were your parents disturbed by that? Yeah, yeah. yeah you I know guess what? I understand why they would yeah. be. But like, I mean, how many kids? This was actually eighth grade. I'm remembering now. Yeah. So it was a year later. Like, but, I mean, certainly they're thinking like, oh, he must be having suicidal thoughts. But like, you know, it's not. Like that's drama. You're writing a character. Yeah, piece but also, and, I mean, I had also like, I don't want to get too like inside about myself. But there have also been some like suicide type stuff. In my life, you know, the the previous in the previous school year. Okay, yeah. Well, then, fair enough. So I they, could yeah, see some more. Let's get the spotlight going here. Yeah, whereas this was, like, <laughs> probably me working through some shit and probably getting better, getting yeah. more healthy. In my parents' mind, it was like, you know, we don't want him going down this road again. So I didn't get to turn it in. I instead um, wrote a story about uh, also eighth graders. And eighth, uh, a punk rock band made up of eighth graders crashing a school assembly and like playing like a like a gorilla like concert and i got an a that's more fun <laughs> it <Absolutely>. was fun <laughs> yeah i wrote a, i wrote a lot of uh stories all of them very violent there's really only one that had kind of a weird uh, uh fantasy magical quality to it it was still violent but it, the, i actually did develop characters this time around and uh and I was very excited. I, I think it was called like the Dark Cloud or something like that. And so, uh, and that one I had written on my own. And here's something I deter- I figured out later on. Guest, you can chime in in a second. Okay. Um, well, let me but, uh, finish. Then I'll uh, introduce the guest. Then. No question about yeah. it. Uh, and so, um, I discovered. Oh, these stories that I'm writing for myself. Son of a bitch. In my English class the next year, we have a writing assignment. We have to write a story problem solved <laughs> like i turned in so much of like here's the thing i couldn't turn in too many of them because uh, you know they were very violent but that one i got so much mileage out of that thing it's like and part of me's like it's my story i can use as many times as i want right uh-huh. 
<laughs> it's uh, it was kind of I was not the I was not the most efficient student. Although one could say that was extra, that was very efficient. Um, let me uh, let me introduce our guest, and we'll ask him about his uh, grade school creative writing uh, endeavors. Absolutely. Um, now uh, I I know him from seeing him at screenings <clears throat> and uh, us becoming close Comic Con pals. Yes. Um, you at home know him from the Out Now podcast and from. I always get it wrong. WhySoBlue.com. That's correct. I always want to say, am I blue? Because that's a Billie <laughs> Holiday song that I'm a big fan of. And so I always want to say, am I blue? But it's WhySoBlue.com. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Aaron Newworth. <laughs> Hello. Hi. That, that is who I am. <laughs> Aaron. Yes. Sorry, that's a holdover from a pre-podcast conversation. Two A's in that one. Yes. Yep. So uh, what did you write about? In, what did I write about? School. I kept it. I was on sci-fi. I was on a sci-fi oh. kick. I, I would, and I had like three main things that I'd probably have in all my sci-fi stories: a hoverboard, time travel, which as a you know a youth, obviously I have a great handle on the logic of time travel. Yeah. You know rules. What I got it, uh-huh. and um, you know some kind of some kind of threat that's taken over the world. I mean, what else? You, if I had time travel and hoverboard, I could probably solve that. So that's that seemed to seem to be the the focus of most of my stories. That and drawing things about the, related to the Nightmare Before Christmas. Before before it was before it was cool. I think I almost never wrote anything like fantastical like that. It's sort of the reason I didn't like superheroes when I was a kid, which I've talked about on the show before. Fair just enough. Like which now I'm okay with superheroes, but as a kid I was like. This is dumb. Like it's not real. That's why I like the Punisher because he just like because he kept it real. Yeah, he, like, he just killed people, and he just wore like a shirt with a logo on it. He didn't have a like an outfit. I but one thing a logo, but I understand what you're saying. I'm pretty sure it was a logo. It's a logo. Well, I guess what, I guess what I is think it? in terms. It was his logo. Yeah. Okay. What I was thinking it? in terms like he found some shirt. Was like oh, I like this. I want to represent like it's like, <laughs> like you wore a Coca-Cola shirt for a while. You <laughs> <laughs> sponsored. It's um, <laughs> like uh, a NASCAR driver. <laughs> and then he lost his sponsor and they realized like, well, everybody that we're sponsoring too winds up dead. So I don't think this is working out. <laughs> I, I did write. Um, Skull Candy could sponsor. Well, one of my favorite things I ever wrote. I, uh, this is senior year of high school. I'm much more, I was much more grown up now. That's why I actually like this thing. For a creative writing assignment, I wrote a short film screenplay called Chainsaw Baby. Yes, you've told me about it. I have. Okay. That sounds amazing. Oh, basically, it, it, it was a period piece that took place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took place in a, era. in a logging community at the advent of the chainsaw. Right? When when was the advent of the... I'm just, I'm I don't know. Okay. Uh, so in my mind, it was like 1915 or yeah, sure. 1920 yeah. or something like that. When they had gas-powered things. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, um, the pregnant wife of the foreman um, gets her pregnant belly nicked by a chainsaw, <laughs> right? And then the chainsaw, like like gasoline or chainsaw DNA, essentially mixes with her fetus, and she gives birth, I mean, violently and fatally for her. Yeah, gives birth to a baby with chainsaws for arms. <laughs> 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 which then rampages through the hospital. It was a short film. I don't know so, why I didn't see that coming as the twist. <laughs> so um, it rampages through the hospital. Um, and then I wrote so many drafts that it kept getting weirder to where like the baby had an inner monologue and it was like this existential like crisis. And there were scenes of just the baby like hiding in a storage closet and thinking about what it was and whether or not it was human. <laughs> um, it was, it was my favorite things I ever wrote. And we actually, we tried to make it, um, and it, uh, I couldn't get it get it made. Uh, I couldn't get people. I couldn't get enough people who believed in this thing 
David, uh, I see a Kickstarter on the horizon. <laughs> I'd see that in a heartbeat. Yeah, a baby's heartbeat, which yeah. is probably faster. So I, I want I, I doubt I. I'm, I'm not a sentimental person. I don't tend to hang on to things, so I doubt I have that anywhere. Um, but uh, I, I kind of wish I did now. You, got, see, you I, got the you got the outline. Like what the, yeah. that's just a yeah. workshop away from being done. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, like. Uh, farm it out to some local writer to say like i'll give you i don't know a hundred dollars and uh here's the key is this chainsaw dna and then a chainsaw baby all right, right. in fact probably just give them the title and they, yeah, they've got it like uh-huh. a, a postmodern edward scissorhands less romance more right. fun you know yeah. <laughs> i say more romance more. <laughs> incorporate more i'm surprised we haven't seen like a good sasquatch movie like well, there's the one. You that, think that's uh, like a, that's horror material to mind? Didn't uh, Bobcat Goldthwait just make one? I don't know if it's oh, I don't sort remember. of come out like uh... Jewel Murray isn't a Sasquatch. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, okay, yeah. I think I'm trying to think of if any more short stories that I wrote. I wrote. Oh, one they're coming that fast I, and furious in my mind now, and it's they're they're so they're each one more ridiculous than the last. That, that one same same uh, class. Um, I had um, I wrote a story that I had to heavily censor. My teacher actually mm. talked to me. She was like, "You're not supposed to like." I put like asterisks in, but it was like the most profane thing that I've ever read written because it was based on a true story where I got pulled over in the middle of the night for no reason whatsoever, and this cop um, made me get out of the car, then made my girlfriend get out of the car like separately, and like talked to us, and he asked me if I had been beating her up, um, and none of that like nothing had happened. Um, and he was really getting my nerves and I was like trying to be nice. And he asked me if I was getting high, um, which at that point in my life, I didn't. Um, and he asked, uh, and I don't now either, but, um, uh, he, he asked what that real strong air condition or air, air freshener sm- scent was in the car. And I said, that's oh, probably the air freshener. <laughs> that was like as whippy as I got. But then I wrote an entire short story where I said everything that you wanted to say, I said, which, um, one of the, the one I remember, cause he actually, after he, because uh, my girlfriend had been in an argument, I think that's why he thought we might have been fighting because she was crying when uh, he pulled us over. So he got me out of the car. And he was like, "Has he been beating on her, or he been hitting on her, or something like that?" Well, those uh, are two different things. <laughs> no, but yeah. yeah, but he meant, "Have I been beating her?" He okay, like, you've been hitting her or something. And I was like, "No," and and I was like, "No," we were just arguing. He was like, and then suddenly he was like, "My friend or whatever." He was like, oh, "Just catching her an earful, huh?" And when I wrote my story, it was like, hey, "You're about to catch an earful, my fucking boot." <laughs> 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 I right. think probably everybody has this story of like getting like I got pulled over for just being like in the wrong neighborhood. I did I was lost. I was looking for a friend's house and I was in the wrong place. Not even at the wrong time, but what I didn't know is that uh there had been a string of robberies uh in that in that <laughs> neighborhood. And so uh so of course when I drive around and then I saw a cop car and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm just going to leave. Uh, you know, I know I'm not in the right place." So to them, it looked like I pulled into the neighborhood, saw a cop car, and now I'm leaving. And so then they pulled me over, and then two more cop cars showed up. And these guys were just assholes. And it became clear, very, like, almost immediately that, like, oh, it's, I don't, you know, I, I didn't, I'm not this guy you're looking for. But they still had this thing where uh, they were looking through my car, and uh, one car, just, one uh, cop was just standing by me and just had his flashlight just shining right in my face. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I was like, so, and I, I was just talking, I'm like, I'm sorry, I tend to get, uh, you know, uh, overly talkative and uh, overly, uh, overly friendly when I'm, when I'm nervous. And he goes, he goes, oh, no, he goes, I do too. Probably why I became a cop and part of me. And, and I just like, yep. But in my mind, it's like, 
Yeah, because cops are known for their friendliness. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and so then they finally just like, all right, you can go. If you don't have any business in the neighborhood, then, you know, don't come in here. And it's like, I didn't know I didn't have any business until I got here. And when I tried to leave, yeah, you pulled me over. <laughs> anyway, uh, th- I told an abridged version of this story at jury duty and uh, they dismissed me. Yeah, because I had said, you know, I well, don't this, think I like cops. This cop that asked me if I'd been hitting my girlfriend, his excuse for pulling me over was that I had been kind of touching the yellow line every once in a while. That's what he said. I wasn't speeding. I wasn't like, but apparently I wasn't staying completely in my lane. I wasn't cro- I wasn't weaving. I was just kind of touching the line. Okay. Uh, I'll do I think it. he just uh, saw two 17-year-olds out after midnight yeah. you know, in, in the suburbs. Uh, I later found out, actually, that it was this cop's first night. First oh, night. Okay. <laughs> well, the academy. Well, that's how did you find that out later? Um, because, actually, the, the, the municipality I was in, Chesterfield, Missouri... My dad was the vehicle maintenance supervisor. Of course, for the he city. was. <laughs> he like he, so he knew every cop um, who worked because he like was in charge of keeping all their cars up. So I like got home and I told him the story and I was like a Chesterfield cop pulled me over. His name was blank and my dad was like, I have no idea who that is. That's weird. And so the next day, my dad asked around and it turned out it was his first night. Man, oh man. Look, no offense to like, if you're a listener and you happen to be a cop, uh, you know, no offense for what I'm about to say, but they are just the worst. <laughs> I just, I. Uh, we had cops who used to come into the video store that I, in, in Chicago that I really liked. We had one, I got pulled over um, in Chicago. I didn't have a car for a long time when I lived there, but I, I got a car and got pulled over almost immediately for making the left turn at a place where you're not supposed to make a left turn. I it was, you know, new to the neighborhood. So she pulled me over. And um, she let me go the warning because I like had a Missouri license plate, a Missouri license. She was like, clearly, this guy's right. not from here. I didn't know. Um, and then like a week after that, we got uh, shop. There's a shoplifter, and we had to call in the cops to fill out a report. And that same cop came in, walked in, and I was like, "Hey, remember me? Illegal left at Belmont and Lincoln?" <laughs> and she and she was like, "Yeah." Like she was like, "Why is this guy so excited to see like the cop who pulled him over?" Anyway, I. I might have overstated. Cops are not the worst. I I had somebody, I think I told you about this, 4th of July last year, somebody uh, jumped into my uh, uh, my porch at the old place. Oh, yeah, you did tell me. Yeah, and uh, decided to just kind of camp out there. I was like, okay, well, here I am standing with a phone in one hand and a giant kitchen knife in the other. It's 4 a.m., Jen's asleep. And so I called the cops and they... Uh, they were very friendly. They were very nice. Uh, not to this guy because he started putting up a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So if you are the victim, then they'll be nice to you. Um, I don't mind cops. I mean, I, I wish I wish more would open up as a cinephile if they do happen to listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like you, you yeah. get to a friendly conversation about it. I don't. I, I'm not very talkative, you know, in interaction with cops. I, I'm black in Orange County, so I just clam up. It's, <laughs> it's kind of yep, yeah, whatever. Ticket speeding, yeah, well, fine. <laughs> move along. Do you now? You, so kitchen knife is your go-to if some if someone's there. It's all I had. Yeah, I don't know what I I I, I could grab a golf club, I guess, but. Um, hmm. what I want, what I used to have in my old apartment, um, I lived in with my ex-girlfriend, I had an ax, which Ooh. we had, uh, she had used in a short film that she made. She ah, bought yes. it for that. And so it was an ax that had, it was covered in fake blood cause it had been used for a short film. <laughs> and so I just kept it like in the, in the foyer of the, of our apartment, like the little walkway of our apartment. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. And, um, I loved it for that reason. Like, Hey, if I, if there's a suspicious knock at the door, I can just pick up this axe on my way to uh to the door but 
eventually she was like, I think the security you're feeling is outweighed by the number of people who come to our apartment and think it's fucking weird that there's a blood-covered axe three feet in the front door. I thought it was pretty kick-ass. Here's the thing about having an axe as your weapon of choice, or like a bat or something like that. You need enough room to swing. That's why I like the kitchen knife, because if the person is is too close for you to have a nice swing in there, you can just, just poke them. With the knife, yeah, right. you know, you don't need a lot of... Uh, bat's a good poking device, too, and there's less consequence if the person isn't, you know, an actual threat, but you actually hit him anyway. Right. There's, but, less, there's less cleanup. Yeah, bat's not terrible. Blunt, blunt object is not terrible, like but an, an axe, there's only one uh, Yeah, an axe part. really feels like you need to have the whole, like, the, the full-till use of it, yeah. and not yeah. just, like, yeah. make it. That's, that was me making an axe <laughs> by hands. <laughs> yeah, that couldn't have been more of a shotgun, by the way. That, that looked very much like a shotgun. Okay, so, there we go. There we go. So oh, I was gone. swinging now. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> choke up on the handle there, buddy. So it's been, and we're we're at axes now. It's I mean, been nearly thirty minutes, by the way, um, and we haven't gotten to the topic at all. But um, there's and by a, the way, the, we had our Halloween intro music. Yeah, well. so, so we, there's a, we've skirted around it though. I mean, all those axe talk, and yeah, Sasquatches, yeah. and yeah, pregnant chainsaw babies. <laughs> um, it's all part of it. It's all of a piece. So yeah, it is. We we have had actually quite a Halloween themed episode. Good for yeah. us. Um, <laughs> Now, the reason this episode, we said we'd get to it, the reason this episode is going up late is because we have, as the listeners know, a uh, we had a listener-generated, listener-voted uh, list of the top 50 horror movies. Yeah. Um, it and, started as the top 25. But, the, yeah, the uh, response was overwhelming. Yeah, so we, we, we expanded. Had, um, and the reason it's going up late is we're going to talk about that list, and the last one doesn't get revealed till Halloween Day. Right. Uh, and so this will go up at uh, midnight, essentially or thereabout, you know, um, and we're going to talk about the list. So I think because our original idea was top 25, that's what we're going to focus on. But I do want to start, you know, just sort of looking at the, um, Aaron, you got the list in front of you, right? Yes, I do. Looking at 26 through 50 and and seeing if we have anything that really leaps out at us and I'll start. Okay. um, Well, actually, before you do that, I wanted to throw this out because People have been commenting a lot. There's been a lot of response, and I appreciate it. Listeners, you're super awesome. Uh, it's always fun yep. having a, a conversation we with you guys. We have the best listeners of any show, including the Out Now podcast. No question about <laughs> it. Those people, I feel, like they, I feel like they settle. They settle <laughs> quite a bit. Um, but uh, so here's, here's a question for the room. Um, okay. And that includes our guests. That was me. I'm sinking my mind here. So, okay. um, so a couple of, of movies that popped up. You've got your Silence of the Lambs. You got your Seven. Now, oh, this is exactly what I was going to talk this about. One? Okay, yeah. This First is... off, and we kind of talked about this last <laughs> year, or was it two years ago? I don't remember when we talked about thriller versus horror and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And what what is what? Suspense versus horror. That's what it was. And um, and so the question is, like, what counts as horror at this point? Because well, I I would not have counted Silence of the Lambs or Seven. And enough other people have said the same, but well, uh, it got they got submitted enough. Um, I would not have counted seven. I, and I, I also would not have counted Silence of the Lambs. But um, coincidentally, I just had this conversation with my girlfriend recently because I okay. recently at Comic Con actually. I think you were standing right by me when I did. I bought Silence of the Lambs on Blu-ray because Fox had those like limited edition art. Oh. Yeah, that so, was one of the things you told me that you wanted to get for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so um, shortly after Comic Con, I watched <laughs> Silence of the Lambs on Blu-ray for the first time in a long time. The first time ever on Blu-ray, but um, with my girlfriend, and I made that comment that I don't think of this as a horror movie, and she was like, "Oh, I absolutely do." Yeah. So some people do, but the 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 example I was going to bring up now, if you remember, um, I guess back this was more than a year ago when um, 
Film School Rejects petitioned us and a bunch of other online uh, film critic people with online presences to do sort of the Internet's version of the sight and sound list. Right. Um, one of my top ten movies on that list was was Peter Weir's Picnic and Hanging Rock. Yes. Um, and that made this list. And here's the thing. So I'm saying right off the bat, obviously, I love that movie. It's one of what I think is one of the ten greatest movies of all time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I feel weird about the idea that someone might see it on this list and go rent it with the expectation that it's a horror movie. Now, it it has a heavy blanket of dread laying over it. It has, it does have that tone to it in a lot of ways, but I, I don't, it's not really a horror movie. Have you, have you seen it, Eric? Picnic and Hanging Rock? Not in a long time. I remember seeing it. No, I haven't seen it in a long time. Was it too scary for you? You can't rewatch it. (laughs) I haven't seen it in a while. Is it on Blu-ray? No, here's it. Has Criterion reissued the? I, I have know. the Criterion DVD at home. See, I think I like I was able to watch that version, the DVD once, and I think I've just been waiting for it to come on Blu-ray. God, that's yeah. been a while since I've thought about that movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. Right. So what with with the films that we've talked about, whether it be you know Picnic at Hanging Rock or Seven or Silence of the Lambs, like Aaron, where do you fall on those as horror movies? It's a good question, and I actually posted this on. On my, on my Facebook page because I had two ones in mind, which ultimately are my one and two picks for my on my horror list that I created for the show. Um, but I'll go stick with the movies you guys are talking about: Silence of the Lambs and Seven for now. I ultimately those also made my li- I made a top twenty list, which was incredibly hard and frustrating to do. But um, I ultimately put those on the list because I guess when I watch those movies, it's because I'm in the mood to watch something that fits in my mind as horror. I don't put it on to say i need it i need i don't know i I, it's it's a weird kind of qualifier you think i guess because horror is such a it's a broad genre and but yeah the word thriller is so that i think that is a looser definition than horror does and yeah yeah i guess yeah we should maybe define what uh, uh, I mean, we don't want to be as narrow as saying that a horror movie is something that has like jump scares in it, right? No, yeah. Um, but- I mean, both films have tremendous atmosphere. It's got that dread you're talking about, and both of them, as it happens, has tremendous grisly imagery. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of tension and fear. Like everything I just described could have gone to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. or something, which which no one would ever deny is horror. Um, but I guess what I think of something as being uh, a, a horror movie. I think of it as something that. Uh, I, I mean, th- this is uh, hard to actually say. This is a definition, but if I if I'm done with the movie and I still feel uh, unsettled or anxious, <laughs> you know, um, then then that's what I think of as horror. I guess, yeah, something that unsettles me. I think we've talked about it before. Maybe it was last year or two years ago at Halloween. Like my favorite horror movies have a sense of like wrongness like something that is very like that is that is wrong that shouldn't exist in reality being presented as matter of fact like a like a baby with chainsaws for arms (laughs) right but that was a little going to be a little tongue-in-cheek um that's why i think silence of the lambs fits the i think that's an easier one to, to say is a horror movie over seven seven i do think it's it just happens to be a very grisly procedural film that has a lot of style and a lot of that sense of dread and a lot of things that you don't get in an average you know, um, kind of detective thriller type film. And so it's that, that hits that gray area a little bit harder. 
but I mean, Silence of the Lambs, I think there's there's a legit scariness to that. And there is like an actual, well, even Seven has that too, but like a kind of a malevolent force that's has two of those actually in the form of Lecter and of Buffalo Bill and just this terrifying nature of the people that you're after. But Seven has the John Doe character, but you don't, you're seeing all, Seven has such a unique take on it because you're seeing everything kind of after the fact with what, yeah. he's, prov- yeah. what he's providing as a threat. And so it's... I, I wonder if it has to do... Uh, and again, I'm not saying whether these movies are horror or not, horror or not, but like, uh, I wonder if just for me, um, if there's, uh, like if there's not a, a strong contrast between the phantasmagorical and the mundane, it doesn't feel as much like horror to me because Silence of the Lambs and Seven are both very stylized. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not as like when Cleary Starling sneaks into that storage unit and finds uh buried in the back of like a, a car and all this yeah. stuff she finds like that head, head in the jar it's like that place is so creepy that yeah of course you'd find a head in the jar in there <laughs> it's just know? a matter of time <laughs> whereas you know there's things like in um you know the orphanage it's just a family home and all of a sudden there's like a ghost there or there's not even a ghost there's just like a kid wearing a weird mask um that's that's a contrast to normality that you scares know? me by the way uh, <laughs> the orphanage is a very scary movie. It is. I, have, I have not seen it creepy and, creepy kid movies are the kind of movies that scare me the most actually so. um there's a movie i'm not sure if it made the i think it didn't it just missed the list um because it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination but one that we weirdly talk about a lot on the show is the omen pops up a lot um but damien which is weird because i don't like the movie that much it's not that great no um <laughs> over the top gregory peck is yeah. fun but but <laughs> damien's nanny it's all for you damien and jumping yeah. off like it's it's fucking crazy that that happens in the middle of this like this party it's uh it's so shocking that that's that maybe that's what 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 scares me well that's that's about that it. fits in with your like this is off. This is not as it should be. This woman is meant to take care of this kid and she's not hurting him. And she doesn't also, she also doesn't seem to be acting of her own. Right. Yeah. Will. She's like, also not like, like goodbye, cruel world or woe is me. Yeah. She's happy. Whereas she <laughs> jumps off the building with a noose around her neck. Yeah. It's, I could see why that's considered, uh, unsettling. You yeah. Know? Um, and so there are a few others here in the, in the, in the bottom 25, um, that like, I mean, Eraserhead, it is a disturbing film. Yes. Uh, I find do, it scary. Do you find, do you find it scary, Aaron? <laughs> it's, it's, I'm not a huge fan of Eraserhead, so it's more like I find it frustrating, but, um, <laughs> but I, I'd say it's disturbing for sure. And just kind of I mean, the imagery the and the use of sound in that movie. Like it's, and that's the thing with like all of David, almost all of David Lynch's movie, like, no one calls Lost Highway a horror movie, but there are parts of Lost Highway that I find absolutely terrifying. You know, mm-hmm. um, Robert Blake coming up to him in the party and giving him uh. the phone and he's talking to him. And then just the part when he comes home and he's looking for his wife and he's slowly walking down the hall. And as the camera follows him down the hall, it just goes into complete pitch blackness mm-hmm. yeah. is like as terrifying as anything in our top 25 here to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of stuff. And I guess that, that Jack Nance responding to that baby as if it's normal is scary to me. Oh, because it's yeah, not normal. Like, My girlfriend insists that baby's cute. By the way, what? And I, and I, no. and I um, think that's part of the reason I love her. <laughs> oh, see, I go the opposite. I say you, you get out of that. Oh, well, <laughs> right you, now. you can make her a paper mache one of those, and there's an anniversary <laughs> present. <laughs> Paint it black, make it spew stuff if you cut its head off. <laughs> whatever. 
Now, okay, so like Eraserhead, you you find it frustrating, and I guess that's that's what fascinates me about just this whole list in general because you know it's it's one thing if for example Shaun of the Dead wound up in the top 50 here that means several people consider it horror and submitted it is it way more of a comedy of course yes. it is does it belong in the list one could say no by one I mean me uh, I agree and I ultimately kept it out of my list even though it's one of my favorite movies and probably a movie I've watched more than a majority of movies I've watched in my lifetime, but I just not yeah. one that I would put on that list because I think it goes back to what I initially said. It's a movie that I don't watch because I'm in the mood to watch a horror movie. It's a movie I watch because I want to watch a comedy or I don't want to watch some, some a British movie or something that's not horror essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it, I some I mean, of it has are, to, I don't want to spoil the top 25 because I want to get into that, but no. there are movies in the top 25 that are more comedy than horror. That, yeah. Um, no, you know, I, I, I such agree. as the one that is a homonym of Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> the one where it gets its name from. Yeah, is like I think of that as a very gory comedy. Uh, we can discuss that, I guess, when we get there. But yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. But I also, I, I can see why it fits into the realm of horror. Um, a movie on my list. I've, I think this is on the ultimate list too. Yeah, it's number twenty six, Evil Dead Two. That's a movie yeah. that fits right. kind of the same kind of logic, but I think it's rooted in horror, so especially as it's, it's it's Evil Dead too. But it's like it's rooted in it's rooted in horror in a way that, for whatever reason, fits in a mood where I want to watch a horror movie. The Evil Dead trilogy, even though Army of Darkness is way off the the radar yeah, at that I would, point, I, I have a hard it, time even counting that. As which I ultimately horror. left off my list. It's like I have kind of columns for my list, but in the top horror section, <laughs> Evil Dead Two made it in there. Evil Dead made it in there, but Army Darkness didn't. Evil Dead 2 made it higher because I liked that movie more, but because it's kind of blurring the lot, mixing of kind of Three Stooges humor with its horror aspect. But I think yeah. Raimi captures an atmosphere that's so... It's rooted in horror. It just happens to be on a humorous side. And there are... But, I mean, his visual aesthetic, if you take away kind of the, the physical comedy going on, it still works as a horror movie, I think. And Shaun of the Dead, I think it's made in a way that it's rooted in comedy. It's rooted in really a human relationship drama that happens to be fueled by various running gags and jokes, but, and it's ultimately funny, but it's, I guess it's just not rooted in like horror for me, for me to consider it as that kind of like top horror movies of all time. I wouldn't think of it that way. Yeah. I'm trying to think in like, uh, going by like the instinct of the viewer to, I want to experience this emotion while I'm watching a movie. And it's the, and if it's the experience of like, I want to experience uh, tension and fear and like the release of that. And then it's like, okay, well then you go to a horror or a thriller and, and, but probably more of a horror. Um, but then you get it to a movie that I love that David but, and I both love. But, but, but by the way, before we leave Shaun of the Dead, okay, completely, mm-hmm. I wanted to relate a story from when you and I were in line for for Hall H. That you were uh, you were very I don't know if you had a lot of coffee that morning. You were very animatedly talking about Sharknado. I don't I don't right? drink coffee, but I was animated. Okay. I can recall myself yeah. animatedly talking about Sharknado. We were talking about Sharknado, <laughs> but every time anyone would come past the line dressed as Shaun from Shaun of the Dead, you'd say. You've got red on you. <laughs> and like some, a couple of them would be like, yeah, I've heard it, blah, blah, blah. 
but I loved that you were unfazed, and it, it became like funnier to me every time it happened because you didn't care whether they liked it or not. You like almost were compelled, like you have to say, "You've got red on you." To like anyone dressed as Sean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, when I'm at Comic Con and people are going to dress in their costume, I'm going to acknowledge this costume. I'm going to make sure everyone else in the proximity around me realizes that yes, this person took their time to dress this way. I don't care what time of day it is. This person's going to know that I noticed them, and I want others to also notice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Tyler. Uh, hang on. Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay. So there's a movie that David and I love. It's not Ravenous, although we do love it. I love Ravenous. As, as everybody oh, should. Yes. Um, Criterion needed. And that got, absolutely. I designed a, a Criterion cover for it in case they ever I'm, want one. I might have seen, I've, I've seen some fan images of Criterion, okay. but I might have seen it. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, and Ravenous actually got, uh, got submitted a few times not quite enough but uh so the movie tremors is a horror movie strictly speaking but when i watch it and i do fairly regularly it's on tv a lot i watch it when it's, it was it's, on the other yeah, night i yeah. watched a good 20 minutes of it. yeah <laughs> my friends and i once this is okay i cannot believe i'm about to say <laughs> my friends and i once cracked each other up for a very long time uh talking about how tnt uh would just start to preempt episodes of the closer to show tremors <laughs> it would just, but like new episodes and it would just always do it. But then there's always one guy hanging on who always, who thinks like, okay, this will be the day when I get to see the closer on time. So he's sitting at his, uh, in his chair, really excited. And then, and then it goes, we regret to inform you that we'll need to be preempted. And then he goes, son of a bitch. And he's just angry. But then the next, the next episode, they actually start showing the closer and they say previously on the closer and they show tremors again, <laughs> but then they do follow it up with the actual episode. That's one of the dumbest. Things I'd, I'd like to, I'd like said. to think that his reaction to not being able to see it in time would be just him doing Kevin, Kevin Bacon in tremors going, fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, tremors is such a fun movie. Anyway. And also one of the best, um, uh, like dubbed for TV movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, cause that was the version I knew for the longest time. Scream. You, yeah. um, but I'll, like uh, Judas Priest, like, <laughs> yeah. or you know, uh, what is it? You broke into the wrong Goldurn rec room, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> See, I think Fred Ward talks like that in real life, so it didn't probably like phase him too much. You know, like having to re-record certain <laughs> the dialogue. Um, He's not comfortable with that swearing. So, um, is, uh, but tremor. Okay, so I guess we're getting back to defining horror, but you can't right. you can't like narrow it down. I guess there's a lot of different kinds of horror. Yeah. That's why we have different terms for things like body horror or I guess creature feature. Is that what tremors would be? <laughs> I think so. It'd absolutely. be a creature feature. And within yes. that, you can do a lot. Like Slither would be a more recent absolutely. example, and which I'd, I'd, I'd factor into and that one. Not on the list, Slither, huh? No, I think it only got submitted like once or twice. That's too bad. Um, yeah. But the last thing I want to talk about, the last thing I need to talk before we get into the actual top 25 Um. Is inspired by some comments. Some people um, questioned the inclusion of the innkeepers and and whether or not that only made the list because um, Pat Healy is a friend of the show or because they know that you and I. Wait, have you seen it? Yes. Yet? Okay. They, have they, you seen the innkeepers? I'm a fan of all Ty West movies, actually. Um, well, I'm. I love the innkeepers, and it's not just because Pat is a friend of ours or um, or anything like that. But uh, I think she's adorable in the innkeepers too. Sarah, oh, Pax, Sarah Paxton. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, people forget that Lena Dunham is in that because yeah. that was pre-Girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I, I so I wanted to defend the innkeepers because I think it is um, one of the 
like sort of modern classics if that's a thing that can be real i i think it is as powerful a horror movie as um it's company on this list and it's interesting i don't know i mean you know as people make lists in the future here's the thing it's entirely possible that people might have actually submitted it because you know pat healy is a friend of the show you never know and but, it also could be that a larger percentage of our listenership has seen it because we've you know yeah that's talked about it so much that's possible as well but also i some do of them feel might like, have been the recipients of that awesome amazing gatefold blu-ray that yeah. we gave out as a which I wanted to keep so yeah. bad for myself. Somebody might have been the recipient recipient of Pat Healy's shirt from right. the innkeepers. Yeah, we got from for our for our uh, drive uh, our our donation drive, Aaron, uh, from from Pat Healy. Two, I think there were two of them we gave out. They looked like like records, like vinyl records. Okay, but they were you folded them out and they had like a poster and the Blu-ray of innkeepers inside no. they were so awesome yeah, i've seen that the, they're very really impractical was, yeah. but they were yeah, i don't know yeah. where i would have kept it but um i really wish that i had no. been able to keep one of those but no i put the listeners first well, absolutely that's what that's what we do week by week as evidenced by the 30 minutes of bullshit uh in this episode uh, <laughs> people we love it we value your time people love it but uh, i can't get enough of it no one is going to write in and say they didn't like that first 30 minutes. Not one person. <laughs> I, I defy the listeners to, to write in um, to David at com. And so, um, but no, that's the thing is, you know, you look at uh, Ty West and you look at, uh, admittedly, the entrance didn't make like a huge splash or anything, but there is something to be said. In fact, Amy Nicholson just recently uh, wrote a, uh, an article talking about mumble gore. And I have it. I have it right here. Like Baghead. I read it. <laughs> I I, uh, I didn't ever see. Is is Baghead like a? Is that like a I mean, gory it, film? It's not a gore. No, it's not a gory film by any means. It's just a a mumblecore film that fits in the realm of horror. I guess. Oh, interesting. Just, I didn't. I didn't even know that. I knew it was. It counted as mumblecore, which again is a phrase that uh, that uh, David prefers not to use. But I yeah. recognize that it's a it's a shorthand. It's an easy shorthand. It's on Wikipedia, man. I mean, <laughs> well, I can't argue with anything there. But but that's the thing is there is a new movement in horror, and it's like the slow burn indie uh, type of of horror and. I feel like the innkeepers is a great example, maybe the best example of that. And so maybe who, who knows like how it will gain over the years. I really like house of the devil, but I can see what you're saying for sure. And the innkeepers is because that movie is also fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, the only problem with house of the devil is that it's just too rooted in a certain aesthetic and it tries to maintain that for an extended period of time, which I could see why I could rub people the wrong way. The innkeepers, that just has a legit fun like vibe to it, and then like also it's scary and like really yeah. scary, yeah. like when it gets yeah. to be scary. It seems it seems strange. It, it seemed that the two instincts would run counter to each other: the instinct for a film to be frightening and funny, and yet a lot of the most effective horror movies yes, also are, are very funny. So maybe we should get into then sure. the top twenty-five because sure. we'll get into that almost immediately. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Nightmare on Elm Street is that funny. I haven't seen it in a long time. The original is not remarkably once. funny. They they start right. going with the quips in the sequels. But um, not a huge fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. Neither am I. But you and I, Tyler, actually, right before before Aaron showed up, we're having a conversation kind of about the idea of um, the difference between uh, or or the Venn diagram, I guess, of movies that are good and movies that are relevant or important. Mm-hmm. And Nightmare on Elm Street definitely feels like represents something about 
Wes Craven and about horror in the eighties and, and, uh, and you know, this, the, the eighties trend of these like franchises that went on for nine to a dozen films, you know, into the two thousands. Um, and for better or worse, Nightmare on Elm Street definitely captures that. And the thing that works for me is, and, and it's very, sorry, oh, it's also very eighties in the, in the sense that, um, it's not unlike say, uh, I'm not going to, I feel like I can't say the names of any films that are higher on the list. Um, so unlike say other horror films, um, uh, you know, or, or even, you know, Halloween, that's obviously, obviously going to be on the list, but, right. um, there's nothing we can do about that. But, um, Halloween for all the people that get killed in it, it's a remarkably spare film. Yeah. There's not even that many of the people, people that get killed. Yeah. Uh, whereas Nightmare on Home Street is very lush, very almost Baroque yeah. and, uh, excessive in a, in a way that, that represents, its time and the trend that was developing. You mean you found the geyser of blood <laughs> that was Johnny Depp to be right. uh, more excessive? blood than any ten human bodies could hold. <laughs> Twenty one Jump Streets, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the the reason that I like Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm the I, I'm the one that wrote the uh, the blurb on the website. Uh, not that I'm a huge fan of it, but one thing that I and this this got to me as a kid is the idea of of escape. Like, how am I going to escape from horror circumstances if I ever find myself in them? And to me, the biggest escape from any circumstances, horror or otherwise, is sleep, is the ability to, like, if I sleep, at the very least, like, and, I, you know, speaking as somebody who, like, like, when I've had tough times in my life, I was, I found that I often looked forward to sleeping because yeah. you forget those things when you're sleeping. Um, and it is always a very sad dream that incorporates your, your stress into it. Uh, but like, uh, what I liked about Nightmare on Elm Street is it, it kicked everything up like one notch by saying, nope, sorry, you can't even escape in this. And in fact, right. here is when you are most vulnerable and incidentally, you cannot help it. Everybody needs to sleep. Yeah. It's like if there is a, but that's the thing. You can't make a food. You can't make a, a a film in which like all food is poisonous because that's that's ridiculous, <laughs> right? You know, sleep and a guy who functions in that kind of nether world like that's something you can make a movie about and something we all have to do. I tend to like horror movies that emphasize inevitability, and there's an inevitability to sleep. Um, do you remember there? We can't spend this long on every film, right? But there was a <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street TV series. Yeah. And yeah. I, th- I want to say it was like an anthology or was it an ongoing? Did it have no the same idea. characters? I have no idea what it was. I just assume it was like a talk show and they were going to die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like it had, it was sort of like it had to keep making its characters fall asleep. It's like, yeah. it's like, oh my God, like this guy doesn't do anything but sleep. Anyway, that's not important. <laughs> Let's move on to Poltergeist. Um, Which we have a special request to talk a little bit at length about. You may, may recall getting the email. I just watched it, so I'm happy. For the first time? Or no, just, ju- just watched, re-watched it. Oh, yeah, I just it, rewatched yeah. it recently, too. I don't remember the You remember email. Ian, uh, oh, Ian right, Scott right. Todd, uh, yes. said he specifically would like us to go into detail, specifically you, as, oh, about, because you say it's it's one of your, if not your favorite, horror movie. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Um, and But I think what he was talking about is the Spielberg influence. Oh, yeah. And that's all always been interesting to me as a... As a movie geek who hears these stories about like oh Steven Spielberg took over there were or you know or there were uh, fights between Toby, Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg and it was this tense thing I like to watch it and um sort of pick out like all right what's Toby Hooper here and what's yeah what's Steven Steven Spielberg it's like AI uh, yeah what's <laughs> yeah 
Um, and I think one thing that you and I were talking about, um, and that this guy mentioned was this, uh, um, this real feel for middle-class domestic life, mm-hmm. um, that, that you get in, in Poltergeist. It, it feels warm and magical and sort of safe, you know, uh, it, it it feels like what uh, Steven Spielberg man- manages in a lot of ways to capture the idea of what um, middle class white people often want the suburbs to be. You know, this like sort of cloistered escape where everything's safe and perfect all the time. And, he's and a man- little bit boring. Yeah, but he manages to capture that without like he's not apologizing for it, but he's also not making it seem he's not like making it seem as insidious as it can be it's because he gets very natural performances out of the uh, the families he depicts like i think child actors in spielberg movies tend to be some of the best he seems to have a good handle it's same with yeah. like close encounters just yeah. the way kids work in that in that kind of vibe yeah mm-hmm. and so i think poltergeist gets that feeling of uh, of uh of, of safety that um the suburbs ideally represents uh, i guess in people's like dream uh in people's dreams and then toby hooper comes in and subversively says in the same way that you know um, David Lynch would, would with Blue Velvet four years or five years later, mm-hmm. um, you know, says you're not safe here. Like you know the uh, uh, you know the in in Blue Velvet it's about you know psychopaths and stuff like that. In mm-hmm. in this it's a it's about ghosts. But uh, it, it is sort of it's one of the earliest of those um, movies that you and I did a whole episode on very early on i think about the suburbs and about how oh, yeah. there's always like a few times a year there's dark comedies that want to point out that the suburbs are a more insidious or, or there's a there's a dark underbelly of the suburbs and it's like yeah it's been 30 years since it's been more than 25 years since blue velvet we know that now but yeah. poltergeist is one of the earliest ones that really gets at that yeah. unless you want to go all the way back to the desperate hours uh, oh yeah absolutely now, Aaron, you, uh, I know that we can't spend this much time on, on everything, obviously, but, uh, Aaron, you recently rewatched Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you do that for a specific, specific reason? Did you want to rewatch it? I had friends over. I made two, I, I wanted to watch some horror movies and friends. I got two sets of horror movies. One was more ghost and one was more of something I can't think of right now. I don't want to spend too much time trying to. Um, and that ghost one was the, the Poltergeist and the Frighteners. And so, oh. yeah, I went for that. So. I haven't seen the Frighteners in, in a, in a long time. I, I don't know why I love the Frighteners as much as I do. I think it has to do with Michael J. Fox falling through like three floors in a hospital and like getting back up and like, all right, let's go get Jake Busey. Like it just something <laughs> about that movie just really kicks with me. I like, I like the Frighteners more than um, certain Hobbit movies that he's done. Peter Jackson's done. But sure, that's a different topic. Did you did you Poltergeist enjoy Poltergeist? Yeah, I love Poltergeist. I love okay. the kind of the the use of effects in that movie whenever there's a when there's a movie that makes me ask, how did they do that? And I think I'm a person that could figure out a lot of things these days based on just the vast movie knowledge that I think I have. Um, that excites me. And so seeing certain things in Poltergeist, like, how did they do that? That's that's right, intriguing. The, the house folding in on itself at the end? That's yeah, a pretty impressive thing, one. The, the um, face-melting stuff. The, cha- the chairs I figured out, but like it's still kind of little things like that like get me. There's stuff in like Romero movies that get me too. It's like, how did he do that? But yeah, Poltergeist that and it's just legit scary i mean there's a <laughs> as much as it's like this idyllic suburban neighborhood there's also like this scary fucking tree outside this kid's yeah, door it's like yeah. of course get no like where's the blinds <laughs> or like this this clown that's sitting in his yeah, chair why do they have that clown? why do i have yeah. that? like at what point was they like you know what this clown would be great for little jimmy like what is that response like, i don't know <laughs> yeah like 
this the film could be actually a kitchen sink drama and every scene with that clown would be horror yeah like it's it's not possessed or anything it's just there sitting smiling waiting it yeah it it reminded me of i used to have a a pole string peewee herman doll (laughs) which for whatever reason was sitting outside of my closet and I had to, I got to a point where like, no, that's not happening anymore. I put that in back in the closet. And so watching, I watched Poltergeist. I hadn't watched it in a while. Then I watched it a few years ago and I was like, yeah, watched a few years ago. Then I watched it again recently. And I was like that. It just brings back that memory of this fucking Pee Wee Herman doll. So yeah, Poltergeist is a movie I could still like most horror movies that I, that I love. I can watch in the right atmosphere and just be scared by and be happy that I was scared by it for whatever reason that may be. I don't know what the, what, how to get off on the horror movie. Like, but yeah, the vibe I get, I appreciate it's like, yeah, good job movie. You scared me. <laughs> um, all right, what do we have to say about number 23 video drum? I don't have a lot to say. It's well, I it's could great. see people not counting it as horror. I mean, well, I, that's when we get into that conversation of body horror. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not a horror in the fact that there's like a, killer or a demon killing people but it's like the fact that he you know opens his stomach and reaches in and pulls out an object is yeah. is is uh, unsettling yes very much so yeah and i guess that's what i one thing that i am very happy with our listeners about is that if you look at this top 50 it kind of runs the gamut um of course most of the most of the films are are american and, and english speaking and stuff but you get stuff from a number of other countries as well mm-hmm. uh, but you also get a lot of the different subgenres. i mean we've already talked about you know creature features supernatural uh we will certainly get to uh Slashers, slasher movies zombies. and that kind of thing zombies yeah so like and it and and videodrome i feel like uh, of, and of course, later on we'll get to uh, the fly. So th- yeah. there's some there, body horror is well represented here in the form of David Cronenberg, which is something that is always body horror is always very effective on me because it's uh, I don't know I don't know what it is, but I feel like the fly to me gets me that that gets me more than Videodrome is very disturbing and I think it's a wonderful film. The fly is to me so so disturbing and sad yeah but also just like oh my gosh it just with every you know i guess i guess we'll save time on when we get to the fly but like just biting his fingernails and they come off and then like just and then like squeezing his fingers and pus pops out and his ear just falls off and it's just so again like it's this weird combination of like frightening and sad Mm -hmm. but in this and in this case the the fear is is related to how sad it all is, you know. And of course, people have said it's, you know, a metaphor for you know cancer or any kind of degenerative disease and that sort of thing. And you can definitely see that. But just the sadness of someone that you care about just wasting away and becoming this thing that they weren't. Oh. All right. So we got the fly out of the. All way. right. Done. We can, we can skip that when we get to it. Um, <laughs> by the way, the only way uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ works for me is as a body horror film. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, I've actually, uh, confession here, I've never seen Todd Browning's Freaks. I have not too. either, actually. Oh, really? Oh, boy. All right. I've seen it more than once, which one could say is too often. <laughs> um, I think it's wonderful. I think Freaks is an astounding film. Um, of that's course, one of us, right? That's that movie? That's the one. Yeah. Um, oh, from the Ramon song. And it's, it seems somehow wrong that it's called a horror movie. It seems somehow incorrect because... A lot of the horror seems to stem from the fact that we are watching oddities and deformed people and that kind of thing. But we're not watching them be horrible. We're watching an actual community of people. Um, now, admittedly, there is a story involved and there are villains and there are heroes and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's interesting. It's it's like our de- 
I would probably consider Freaks a horror movie, but our designation of it as a horror movie, I feel like, is something that's very 1931. Now, when we have having seen the movie and also recognizing, like, oh, well, the idea of, you know, circus freaks is kind of passe at this point. Like, it, it doesn't, it feels like we shouldn't call it a horror movie. It feels wrong to do so. But there is horrific imagery in there. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, there's stuff that is genuinely disturbing, even if it's just this person is lacks a lower half, right. you know, that is disturbing. Now you recognize that person is still a person. They still have the same emotions you do and all that, but it is, it is jarring at the very least to see that. So it's, it, there's a lot going on with that movie. And if you guys haven't seen it, you got to see it. It's okay. good stuff. Moving along to number 21, the descent a movie that I love. And I think, uh, could maybe also get the, the complaint that it's too recent to have earned a place in the top 25 but i i think it's maybe like certainly one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years um and I've, I've also i've seen it a number of times uh but the thing i want to talk about is that um i it, I, I often think and maybe it's reductively just because of the female protagonists but i often think of buffy the vampire slayer when i think of the, the descent mm-hmm. because in both cases it does the thing where uh, or, or, you know, in, in Buffy episodes and in Descent, they do the thing where um, the monster or whatever the demon is, is really just sort of a manifestation of what's going on with the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, this is really about um, these women, some of whom have secrets from one another or some things aren't as secret as they think they are. And there are some uh, rivalries and resentments under the uh, uh, un- under the surface. Um, and they're put in a tight space and these things come to the surface and then that's sort of literalized in the movie no. by these demons by these mon- i don't know what they are they're, cave they're monsters demons. yeah they're <laughs> they're monsters they're humanoid yeah i don't know what they are yeah. but yeah they're monsters now when he when when david was mentioning that it uh that it seems like people like some would consider it to be too soon to uh, incorporate the film onto the list. Uh, Aaron, you were shaking your head quite vigorously. Are you a fan of The Descent? I am a fan of The Descent. I think it. I think Neil Marshall does just a great job of capturing a kind of visceral quality amidst what basically what Davis just described, and it, and it works very effectively. And being recent, I don't think has anything to play. I mean, the, we have a whole listener-generated poll, regardless of what the what the years are on these movies are ones that obviously made an impact in some way. Yeah. I mean, the descent was that 2005, five, six, five, six. I mean, it, it stays in the public consciousness for a reason. And I mean, that yeah. movie, it's not like that movie was a huge box box off success. It was a movie that just happened to find the audience that it did. And it's held yeah. on to that enough for, I think it can be acknowledged as it just one of the just best horror movies of the, of the past decade yeah i mean i I, I wish it had a bigger audience and maybe it will it's time time yeah it's all about time but yeah yeah. and i do think i mean if if you think of all the things that a great horror movie is the descent is all of it it's characters Mm -hmm. you care about it's uh monster villain evil force whatever that uh that is genuinely frightening and it's got that and it's tremendous atmosphere like that movie is scary to me long before the monsters show up like (laughs) like when you get characters like they're trying to get from one room to another and in in the cave in the cave and they get stuck it's like okay this is already frightening yeah yeah like I, i i get a little claustrophobic at times and that movie is just oppressive to watch um 
Let's move on to number 20, Nosferatu. This is the 1922 uh, F.W. Murnau, which I want to bring up something I brought up uh, earlier with David Lynch and Lost Highway is the use of, like, black space. Um, and, you know, uh, Murnau is talked about as an expressionist for a reason. It's a very high-contrast movie. Mm-hmm. And there is... Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but there is this sense that there could be something lurking in all the shadows that yes. that, that you get on that film. Um, and it's definitely an argument for um, seeing it on film, which I don't know that I ever have gotten the chance to. I'd love to because I imagine those blacks are even richer or, or even deeper mm-hmm. uh, on a 35 millimeter than they would be on a DVD. Uh, and I imagine that would make it all the more scary. Now, I prefer – here's the thing. I I, I like the Murnau version. Um, from a style point of view and certainly from a character design point of view, but I think Coppola's, uh, no, I do. I, I do prefer, uh, Herzog's, uh, I think 79, I I prefer his version. I think it's, I think he really, of course it, it could not exist except for this one. Uh, because clearly it's like, all right, we've got a basis for character design and all that. Now let's explore what it means to be this character. Yeah. So. I have. I think we've talked about it before. And do you have the same one? I, the DVD that was like the um, public domain <laughs> DVD that I bought for like I don't a dollar or like three bucks at, Walder, $3, at Walgreens. Three dollars at Walgreens because it said that it had a track you could listen to music by Typo Negative. Yeah. And what I me- thought that was is that the guys from Typo Negative had sat down and composed like an eighty-minute score. Yeah. No, no, it's no that's just not Typo what Negative it songs being played over Nosferatu. Right. <laughs> and it's by the way, weird. they don't always gel no. as one might as one might think. No. I still like typo negative, but uh anyway, uh, any thoughts on Nosferatu? I like Nosferatu. I'm I only have I was looking at my own um kind of top 20 and I only have one vampire movie in here which I don't think he's even on this list and it's hardly a horror movie it's uh, from Dust Till Dawn. But um I mean Nosferatu like yeah, from a stylistic standpoint, I really enjoy it. I actually do think it's the kind of the essence of the the, the Nosferatu character in that film works. It, it it gets it puts you in a different place just from his presence and the way he approaches other people in that film. That's something that always kind of stuck out to me. Where there's his kind of he it feel, it feels like he doesn't belong in this universe and yet here he is interacting with people and that right. kind of that kind of creeps me out to an extent especially kind of again watching it in that preferred atmosphere of just like i'm yeah. into this so. yeah that's the thing, like if you if you read um uh bram stoker's bram stoker's novel um dracula doesn't doesn't look like i mean obviously yeah. nosferatu is an unofficial adaptation of the novel yeah. Yeah. right but like Dracula could pass for a normal person in the book. Uh and it's kind of it's kind of crazy that Murnau made turned him into this like oh that's uh, that's clearly a monster. Well he went out and found a vampire, as we as we all know. It was played by Lobin Defoe at the the legendary yes. documentary. Uh, <laughs> what's weird is when I think of Nasarati for whatever reason I always think of Fritz Lang's M. Like they always seem like they go well together if I were to watch like this double feature. Yeah. I'm not sure why that occurs to me, but they have a similar uh, visual aesthetic yeah well, and also both characters are one could say monsters yeah but they are also kind of pathetic mm-hmm. yeah like I, I i view count orlock as kind of pathetic yeah okay um number 19 is an american werewolf in london which you and i talked about on the show recently uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's right 
Do you have anything to say about American Werewolf in London? Uh, it's surprising to me that American Werewolf in London still has like the best werewolf transformation scene ever. I don't, I'm like, I don't know how in 2013 we have not improved upon this, except with maybe the what deleted scene from that Netflix series. Um, Oh, the Eli Roth Hemlock one, Grove. Hemlock Grove, where they show like there's like a deleted sequence from there that shows a werewolf transformation that was like close to what American Werewolf in London accomplished. Um, but yeah, no American Werewolf, American Werewolf in London. Love that movie. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy the comedic. I, I like what John Landis brings to it from both a horror standpoint and a comedic standpoint. Yeah. It's very fun. I, I'm. It might be funnier than his comedies. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not a that, anti- the the uh, what the Nazi dream sequence thing that it's, kills me. It's like, just, <laughs> but, that's also, but it's also it's, it's also scary. And that and, gets to what's um, horrific about the movie. I think um, a lot of times in horror movies, there uh, especially in like slasher movies, but in horror movies, there's sort of like a you're in the mind of the of the victim, and you're like, what would I do? There's like, there's this thing coming. And I think most of that middle section of American Werewolf is about a guy dealing with the fact that he's a monster and like he's it's an internal horror uh and as, as like ridiculous as that like wolf nazi demon like sequences it is about him like confronting uh or, or being forced to confront like the the violence in him um that he's it's essentially he's having a fantasy about his family being gunned down uh, anyway, it's a lot of horror movies too. It's like a ghost movie. It's a zombie. Movie. Like yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things going on in that movie. Yeah, I don't. The only thing I could say about American Werewolf in Paris, I'm surprised not on the list. By the way, um, <laughs> which I never saw. I, I it has a great Bush song on the soundtrack. I know that. <laughs> um, wait, which Bush song is on the soundtrack? Um, like I think it might be called Mouth. Um, uh, I don't remember. That I can just think of the chorus. I can't think of the name of the song at this well, time. Go ahead, sing the chorus. <laughs> I don't even know the words. Yeah. Your mouth, mouth. Yeah, I, remember <laughs> I don't remember that one. I remember that fear had the breathe in, breathe out. Machine head, machine head. Machine Love that song. Head. I think it is called mouth. Actually, the um, other one. All right, <laughs> number eighteen is Bride of Frankenstein, which, as I've recently admitted, I've never seen. It is a wonderful, amazing movie. It is, of course, not as will often happen with older films. It's not remarkably frightening, but it is just uh macabre and but it's also it, that also has a tremendous sense of humor and the sense of humor actually it's it's a very it's very much kind of a gallows humor uh and it's which is what whale was going for too for that. oh yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's whale himself yeah uh and just it's you know wonderful performances all around wonderful characters as much as i love frankenstein and i do bride of frankenstein is clearly just james whale just being let go and whatever you want to do. And so he creates his character, Dr. Pretorius, who's just so much fun to watch. And just the way he explores some of the sadness that comes with the Frank, with the, the monster character, you know? Um, and yeah, so David, you got to see that one too. I, I wish I had a fonder appreciation of the hammer horror films. Like I, I appreciate them. I like them for the most part, but they're just not movies I watch very often. Yeah. Um, number 17 is audition, which I also have never seen. I have not seen it's Aaron, a, it's on you. Yeah. Uh, it's audition. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of movie I've, I've watched once and I'm like, all right, I've seen audition now. That's what happens <laughs> that I was tense at the time. Not one that I like revisit. Not one that I often talk about. Honestly, it's okay. It's fine for what well, it is. I, I just, yeah. Time. Yeah. Moving on, moving on to cabin in the woods. I think it's, is it cabin in the woods or the cabin? In the it's, woods? I think it's just cabin in the woods. Um, I think it might be the, but I, I think it is, I believe it is the cabin in yeah. the woods, actually. Oh yeah, we could look at your uh, your Blu-ray up there. Um, but I'm. Uh, oh yeah, there it is. I am not a big fan of this movie, which is uh, as I've 
just but you know just said about Buffy. I'm clearly a a Whedonite. Mm. I'm a Joss Whedon fan, uh, but uh, Kevin in the Woods seems a little too pleased with itself for me. I'm okay with it, uh, and just and as as I've said, it was in my top ten of when did it come out last year? Last year it was yeah. in my top ten as well. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and that's the thing is. And people are like, oh, it's such an interesting deconstruction of horror. And it's like, yes, I, I guess it is that. But it's also so much more than that to me. But that's the thing. I'll talk about it as a horror movie right now. Um, there's a lot of things I respect about it. I don't, rem- I don't find it remarkably scary. There no, are moments no. where it is tense. Uh, oddly enough, like one of the most disturbing sequences is when the character makes out with a wolf's head. Um, yes, yeah. actually, I believe because, that. That is the actual the one time I'm scared in that movie. Yeah, because part of me is like, sounds good something has to happen here right like but it doesn't but that's the thing is you know like sometimes fear it doesn't have to have that kind of payoff it can right. just be anticipation uh and so i think the movie is really wonderful but i think what's wonderful about it is not necessarily the horror elements of it so um i'm not sure if i would include it on this list. it fits in my kind of Shaun of the dead category where i think it's doing more than yeah just being a horror movie it's an analysis of a number of different th- yeah. kind of themes about Hollywood and about horror films and about giving but, yeah, the an audience expectation. That's my problem with it is that I don't know that it does really analyze them so much as just like point them out and then sit back with its arms arms crossed like I've, like I've, the guy like the guy who's who can predict the ending of the he can predict who the killer is and then is just like smug about it. I think I hate that guy by the way. I'm never that guy <laughs> and I hate that guy that I've been that guy unfortunately. <laughs> I don't point it out but I've been the guy. Um and so uh actually here's the thing is I think no, it does not analyze them, but I also don't think it merely points them out. I think it points out why they are entertaining. Why? Because I think the film, more than anything, is an indictment of the audience uh, than the genre. As opposed to something like a movie that you and I love, Behind the Mask, featuring the a friend of, of the show, uh, J- uh, Nathan Basil. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's one where it does break down horror elements, it does analyze it, and it's scary at the same time. All right, let's move on to Let the Right One In. Have not seen it. Uh, is an amazing movie. Love that movie. Uh, not a movie I'd consider horror. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think it's a, it's a it's a drama that happens. It's about a vampire. Yeah, yeah. like, um, I mean, well, one of the main reasons that I don't think of it as a, as a horror is that often when the vampire is being a vampire, you're kind of like on her side, um, or or. Um, now, I, was, I don't know if that's a spoiler. Well, when, uh, the, when, the, when the vampire is kind of a, a lead character, so like that's yeah. generally they're getting, and that's why vampires are inherently interesting and zombies aren't. You can give personalities yeah. to a vampire, and when they have a personality, you generally want to be like, well, what is this person up to? Why am I yeah. relating to this character? Um, but uh, I mean, with the big, you know, there's sort of like we talked about, I mentioned Halloween, like there's not as much in my memory at least it's been i haven't seen it since it was in the theater but there's not as much like blood in it as you would expect from a horror movie but when it gets to the big payoff at the end you're you want those guys to die right in in the in the pool uh that that whole sequence oh and let the rat win it (laughs) it's like at halloween no Um, no no yeah and let the rat win it yes i you there's there's an outcome you want to happen to these people um (laughs) Though there is one incredibly horrific image in the movie, which is the uh, the guy pouring the hydrochloric uh, yes, yeah, acid on his face and his face melting. <laughs> it's, uh, I haven't seen this movie. I guess I I guess I got it's it. fantastic. It's very disturbing. I was holding off for a long time because I don't know if you guys remember this, but when it got a DVD release, there was a big controversy because the subtitles right. were off, like they were they were simplified. Uh, 
more than they that, were in yeah. the theater. And so the I think the company like recalled. They them, did, so. and I I mean honestly I can't. I couldn't tell the difference at the time. I think I had it on Netflix before and then I bought it after. So I mean, I'm, I'm satisfied regardless of <laughs> which version I've, of, of watching either version of the film, but regard, I just, I enjoy the movie, but I, yeah, I don't, it just, it has an otherworldly presence as a vampire involved in the main story. But I think of it as a, as a drama more than yeah. anything. And it's not, and especially or, it's not a movie that really scares me or terror it doesn't even and even the sense of dread doesn't seem to come from the vampire aspect as much as it comes from what can come from this relationship and what comes from what's happening with the boy there's something about uh i'll just be vague here because there's something about the way the movie ends that is kind of scary to me but in a sad way fair yeah which i the same thing could be argued for like something like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which I saw is earlier on the list and not a movie that falls in that weird kind of like silence of the lambs area where it's Uh It's just a human killing people. It's brutal. It's yeah. graphic. And there's but, horrible, yeah, but it. I agree. But I mean, there are scenes in Henry that have stuck with me. Fair. Yeah. But it has some imagery in there that's yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> okay. Um, we talked about the fly. Unless we anybody else had anything to add. It's awesome. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Moving on. I was really happy to see the Blair Witch Project so high because me I feel too. like, I feel like, what are we at 14 years later? There's still a lot of detractors. Where do you fall in the Blair Witch Project? I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah. I I, appre- I appreciate what it. I mean, it's more of that. Like I appreciate what it did. I do think it. As it goes on, it does. It gives you kind of a. If you're into it, it gives you kind of a good feeling of, like, hmm, what is going on here? I'm getting kind of tense. The terror begins, and the ending. The ending is like solid. I really like how it yeah. kind of, how those last kind of. 10 15 minutes play out yeah and talk about thing images sticking with you that mike standing yeah in the for sure yeah the, yeah that image yeah. that is something that, that scares me and that that works for those for movies of that is that i i call them found footage but i mean i don't i don't know what a term to use to describe these kind of movies but they tend to work on me because of just the the use of that aesthetic and where the camera like plate the camera placement's key in those kind of movies and yeah. something like that in the end the Blair witch project does work but i mean when I and I've only watched it like three times in full, maybe it's just kind of like there's a lot of bitching at people in this yeah. forest. <laughs> like, um, but that's it. But, but that that sold it to me. Like if I was in that situation, I mean, I I bitch to people in in ideal circumstances. And I, I think that's what I was talking about before that 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 clash between the horrific and the mundane. Like mm-hmm. they're just like normal. Like they're almost. And maybe this is a could be a detraction from the film, but they're almost like obnoxiously banal these characters yeah um and uh maybe that and if that hurts someone's enjoyment of the film i totally understand that it's the kind of thing that makes horror and comedy like the most hypocritical genres to have an opinion on because i can like one thing and then dislike another thing despite the fact that they're very close to each other but for some reason i respond to this one better than this other one yeah i remember when i worked at uh uh one thing i want to say about blair witch is when i worked at best buy um when i was in high school when that came out, I had a guy insisting that I sell him the widescreen version of the Blair Witch, and I was trying to tell him this movie was shot in one three three. There is no, <laughs> there is no widescreen. There's no letterbox. The Blair Witch, and he wouldn't believe me, and he left the store in a huff. So you're pan and scan some wells, sir. <laughs> I will yeah. say that the hype maybe of what could have got because when I saw it, it was at its kind of peak. Like this right. is this thing's fucking crazy. You don't even know what you're getting into, kind of mode. Did you watch that whole like special that like the there was like the hour long like uh, I don't recall that thing. What was it I called? think I 
uh, what, what were the name of the the woods or, or the forest? Uh, I don't remember. It was called like the yet. whatever woods killer or whatever, and it was like an hour long like hmm. like uh, History Channel or like Discovery Channel type like documentary about. I don't it. recall that. Oh. Yeah, that rented very well at the video store where I worked, and yeah, I saw Blair Witch. I believe the day it opened, um, just with a friend, and I'll say this. Uh, it, certainly it's a film that when I watch it now, I am still very tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's not the type of horror that I tend to carry with me when the movie is over. But when I saw Blair Witch, I, uh, my parents were out of town. And my and so I was – I had the house all to myself. And so after the movie, my I drop my friend off and then I go home. I, have, I had at that point forgotten to turn the lights on because I left during the day. Uh-huh. And uh, so I open up and it's like, oh, here's a pitch black house. And it's like, all right, I'm going to turn some lights on. And it's like, ah, but my room's in the basement. And so then it's just like, doesn't matter how many lights are on. I look down and it's just pitch black. And it's like, I have to descend into that. But Not also, unlike yeah. Mike and uh, is Amy. Uh, Heather, dis- Heather. Heather, yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, descending into the basement there. And I was like, huh. I guess that movie did stick with me a little bit more than I thought. I was reluctant to go down. Well, there. and the creepy thing about like we all—I'm uh, not sure, actually—I don't know where uh, what your neighborhood is like, Aaron. But you and I Tyler, live in an urban enough atmosphere that even when all the lights are off, you can look outside and see streetlights and yeah. Yeah. signs and yeah. stuff. Yeah, similar. But like in where you used to live or where I grew up, it was remote enough. I mean, it was the suburbs, but it's still. If even if you turn on all the lights, all that means is that you can't see what's outside. Right. And yeah. that, that, like, that would always <laughs> makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. And that's still like um, if I am visiting somewhere, I, I've become such like a city type dweller that if I'm visiting somewhere and ha- have to sleep in a in a place where it's quiet outside at night, it is impossible for me to fall asleep. Is, oh, I hear uh, you. I, yeah, I, I get very nervous about it's how quiet. I have like no problem actually getting to sleep. Like I love camp. Like I live in an urban environment as well, and streetlights and what have you. But I I do enjoy camping quite a bit. And well, you get drunk enough, I can fall. I can fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy camping, and I I watch like a ton of horror. And like in the night when I'm awake. I do get that kind of feeling of there's a lot of black out there. Yeah. And not just me, but, um, <laughs> easy joke. Um, but like going to sleep, no problem. It's like, all right, let's do this now. Like I'll hear noises. Like, yeah, I'm sleep. I'm in the sleep mode. There's nothing that's going to happen. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really face me. No, yeah, I mean, I've said before a billion times, so the listeners probably sick of it, but like people from like, who aren't from the cities who were af- afraid that if they go into the city, they're going to get like mugged and killed or whatever. I have that fear of, rural areas like i don't if i'm on a road trip i don't like to stop and get gas like <laughs> too small a town because i feel like everyone is like some crazy backwoods like serial killer who's making like lamps out of people's skin and stuff if you stop to get gas it seems more like a 50 50 like either they're gonna you know mark your car with death's sign or they're gonna give you very helpful information about getting the hell out of there i don't know <laughs> so. david you're so elitist it's not i don't it's just scary to me david i'm I'm of the opinion that you can be brutally murdered anywhere that's, by that's anyone. True. And that's a good All lesson. Right? To Equal learn. opportunity exactly. murder. Absolutely. Be All right. scared of everyone. Let's move on to Scream. Certainly more of a comedy, as we were talking about, more of a comedy than a horror movie. Yeah. But um, sort of like you said about Nosferatu, you wouldn't have the Werner Herzog one without, um, without the original. We wouldn't have Scream without 
all the horror movies that it's talking about. Right. So it it does feel fair to include it on this list. Oh, absolutely. And there are are moments of genuine terror, and uh, it is is funny, but... uh, uh, The listeners know, I don't know if you know, Aaron, I love Scream. Oh, yeah. It's a great movie. I I actually, I think I arguably think Scream 2 is better than Scream. Really? You are incorrect. I I know we're talking about your opinion, but it is, you're factually incorrect. There are things that I, uh, I don't hate Scream 2, but there, um, it's some stuff that I find a little annoying. I tend to stack them next to each other. I don't know. They've, they've, they fit together for me. It was just, I mean, the production was so rushed. Scream 2 came out like a year after Scream. That's why I was so impressed by it. <laughs> it's, it's somehow like, that it did has, not work with Scary Movie and Scary Movie 2. That didn't um, work. <laughs> it has great sequences. I think like um, the, the, the Sarah op- Michelle Gellar sequence is great. The opening's killer. The opening's good. And the, and the ending is like really like really disturbing to me it's, That's it's certainly double backing on a lot of things that set, scream set up and let alone its own kind of logic of scream of of the of the ver- of the sequel topic but uh-huh. i yeah i can see scream such a lamb scream is a lamb like it has more to admire because it did it but, but i mean new nightmare came before scream too and i really like right. new nightmare a lot yeah, that didn't make the list spoilers New uh, nightmare is not in the top yeah, 11 but a, a couple people did uh submit it though and i've i've seen I bet, yeah, i've actually never seen it oh, it's, i see, it's I, see I say this after not saying i don't i'm not a big fan of a, a, a nightmare on elm street i like a new nightmare a lot i think that movie really succeeds at what it's trying to do of both attack like as you mentioned about the kind of attacking the idea of a dream state while also doing things that kind of Early on, what Scream was 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 did to you know to full effect. I think it has kind of an interesting take on satirizing certain elements of this kind of horror. Like it, it just it does a lot of things really well. But Scream and so I was talking a moment ago about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and the idea of you know anytime a film finds a way to make us feel unsafe in a new way. Mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, all right, now we're talking. And to me, New Nightmare and then Scream, certainly, uh, by having meta humor in there, um, and I feel like this with Cabin in the Woods a little bit and just and uh, Behind the Mask, anything that like exa- you know deconstructs horror, I think that's what we talked about last year. Okay. Um, what I like about it is that the fear comes from this idea that like, oh, you know all the cliches, huh? Okay. Has that kept you alive? It has not. Like you're still dead. And like there, like when we see a horror movie, we feel safe because we know the cliches. We feel safe because we like to remind ourselves, well, it is only a movie and I know what's going to happen. And these are films that say like, yeah, it may only be a movie. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you're safe though. And I, I like that. That's, that's yeah. where you can find fear out of, uh, you know, the meta uh, type of horror movies. Although I will say, uh, as much as I do like Scream and as much as I do find it frightening, uh, the one thing that has gotten me about the series, and I am alone in this, no one has ever agreed with me, what? is I do not like the whodunit element, and I feel like that <laughs> that keeps it from being straight uh, a complete horror to me. I, I see what you're saying. Um, but I, I think it fits in with the the idea of knowing the tropes. It turned, so, so someone like uh, uh, Jamie... Uh, Kennedy. Jimmy Kennedy's character, I can't remember, Randy. Someone Randy. like Randy is all, is viewing a horror movie like a whodunit because he knows, uh, so it puts you into his mindset. Yeah. So I'd say at least it works with the first film. The other thing that I like to point out about Scream, um, next time you watch it, really think about how uh, how much of the 
film is the party at the end. It's like the yeah. second half of the Oh, movie. yeah. Oh. It's it's kind of a crazy structure. It's like how like Maltese Falcon mostly takes place in an apartment for a <laughs> like right. Spoilers, Aaron. <laughs> Come on. I don't want to get another email. All right. Let's talk. We can put 11 and 10 together. Sure. Uh, I was obsessed with Scream, by the way, when it like when I early internet use, I was like, like when it was when Scream 3 was in production uh-huh. and I was I was such a big fan of the first two Scream films that I was like, oh, man, I, I want to hear all the news I can, which was, of course, met with crushing disappointment when Scream yeah. 3 actually came out. James Helen and Bob were in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they were. Let's never, never Parker, forget. The Parker, <laughs> Parker Posey's in it and she's a lot of fun. I think the I, but I think um, Scream 4 and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is actually better than the Scream 4 I saw in theaters. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I actually kind of had a soft spot for Scream 4. It's a movie. Um uh I don't want to get we don't have time but like I feel like it it got back to some of the cuz Scream 3 feel I know it's not it's it's rated R but it feels almost PG-13. Yeah. To me it feels really neutered whereas Scream 4 for as much as it is predictable and like recycles it, you know that the Scream movie has essentially become a genre unto itself at this point uh it felt um it had it felt sadistic and uh, and very unsettling to me in the way that, that the best parts of the first two do. All right, um, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead are eleven and ten. Yeah, but well, they're very different movies. They're in the same, you know, yeah, same director, franchise. Same, I yeah. guess. Let's say very different. I just think there's Dawn takes a kind of a next logical step in increasing a certain aspect of it, but. Increasing what the the satire? Increasing the satire. Yeah, yeah. If Knight, as Romero says, he didn't necessarily intend to create a kind of social commentary based on having a black guy be the strongest, capable leader, and then you know killing him at the end. Like it, it he may he, he claims not to have intended that at the time or whatever. I I think it was kind of in there the whole time. Yeah, and Donna did it certainly just amps that whole aspect up completely in terms of having tons of different kinds of themes the consumerism this is very the things about the state of emergency like it's just i it's not like he it seems like he his sequel took things to a, a next level based on themes of the time instead of what else could i do of zombies like that's yeah uh, I, I and that's the thing is as much as i'm not a huge fan of day of the dead um i at least acknowledge I like the the Bub character. I think like he actually. That's one where here's the thing. He scaled. Now, Day of the Dead did not make the list. No, it did not. Make uh, I believe one person submitted it. But um, the uh, that's the thing. He scaled back on some of the satire and some of the ambition in Day of the Dead as far as scope. It's, but yeah, as far as like ex- examining like what it would be like to live in this world and examine like what zombies are. He he actually did more with that than he did, I think, with uh, with Dawn of the Dead. Now, do you think it's uh, and I do? Do you think it's correct that Dawn of the Dead is higher than Night of the Living Dead? I do. I don't think so, personally. I, I Dawn of the Dead is is that where is that on mine? It's like uh, number seven on my list. Some Night Night's two spots under it. Yeah, I think I've definitely seen Dawn of the Dead more times than I've seen Night of the Living Dead. It's uh, it's one that has stuck with me more. But I do love Night of the Living Dead, and but I think part Good. of it is kind of an esoteric thing, like film geeks like us have an idea of context and the fact that night of the living dead came out like sort of at the beginning of like the MPAA rating system yeah. when you weren't like restricted by the Hayes code or, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing when uh, it, it has this sort of anarchic like feel of like, let's see how much we can get away with, you know? And so it's, uh, and maybe, so maybe by today's standards, it's, it's not that gory or, 
um, the fact that some of the zombies are naked women is not like uh, completely very shocking to us. It does have this feel of, uh, I, I guess I approach it almost like a punk rock way. Like it's George Romero really like trying to see what he can get away with. Uh, that's a big part of why I enjoy the movie. There's that great scene where, I mean, it, the, the they have that plan. They're like, we're going to get the gas, we're going to get the truck, we're going to come back. And it seems like such a simple plan, so easy to accomplish, because there's only, you know, so many ghouls or whatever uh-huh. they wanted to call them at the time outside. And everything fucks up. Like, everything, everything yeah. goes wrong with that situation. Yeah. The car blows up while they're inside. And then you get the zombie, like, for, like, a black and white movie from that time to show the results of this plan fucking up, which is zombies tearing apart the flesh and she eating it and fighting over it. That's scary to me. And yeah. that's why that move that, I mean, that's among the reasons why that movie is effective. And, but I see it as effective on a different level than I see Dawn of the dead is effective and Dawn of the dead. It just, that movie works for me because I really care about those characters. Yeah. Night of the living dead is more of, I like this movie in spite of most of these characters, which are, who are they're at, they're attacking us the same subject head on, but they're, they're they're bad butting heads with each other because of it it's about survival obviously but it and it also it does some things that actually day of the dead kind of does where it examines what it's like to live in this kind of environment now yeah since the majority of that movie's spent without zombies like there's a i think there's a good like 30 minute stretch where you don't see zombies whatsoever at least you don't deal with them in a meaningful way where it's just them in the mall living and like dealing with someone's pregnant or someone got bit and that person has to die eventually or working out or taking stuff from other parts of the mall to make your surroundings secure like it's something about that just like life watching it progress for a while that's I, i don't know that just hits me in a way that i appreciate that movie yeah I think I prefer, and I, I love Dawn of the Dead. I think it's great, but I think I prefer Night of the Living Dead just because, you know, obviously they shot in black and white because it was cheaper, but there's something about the, you mentioned punk rock, David, like it has a punk rock quality to it. It has a down and dirty quality. It has mm-hmm. a grainy, old, uh, just, un, it feels unsafe. Everything feels so unsafe. And just the atmosphere for it along and the music, I think, where it's just really kind of just tones um, is so unsettling. Um, And I don't know. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things that I love about Dawn of the Dead. I think the ending, like with the bikers uh, and how abrupt it is uh, and then like that kind of gets me a little bit. Whereas I feel like there's just this night again that the the feeling of inevitability uh, I feel like just permeates Night of the Living Dead. Like these people cannot get away from this situation. And they come up with a plan that anybody would be like, all right, got to keys to the pump, got to gas up the truck, got to get. It's just like these are all things we would all do. And it messes up horrendously. And it's like, well, that was kind of their last hope. So I guess let's go to the basement, <laughs> you know, Um and even then, there's there's that, still that threat yeah. there, which is also t- creepy kids, man. Yeah, but then, <laughs> yeah. but also there's you know uh, then at the end there's that nice thing of like as it's like yes the, even though the zombie threat is in this instance kind of neutralized, uh, men are still kind of terrible as well. And so I just really I don't know I yeah I really just I feel like Night of the Living Dead is like one of the most taut efficient atmospheric horror movies that's genuinely frightening uh, that I've ever seen. Now, I never thought of this before until you mentioned The Basement. Do you think that the end of Signs is a an intentional sort of homage to the end of... Probably. Now, I, can dead, I can see that. I can see thinking it. Like, oh, that ended there. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number nine. Uh, Tyler, try not to talk too long. 
about Jaws. <laughs> we know how much you love it. But I recently did a more than one lesson minisode about it, and it was only 20 minutes. Thank you very much. There David. we go. Uh, admittedly, Josh did not get to say very much. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so Jaws, I think, is that's, what, I think that's how much you spent talking about Moneyball on our like best of 2011 episode. Did I talk a lot about Moneyball? I feel I like think I if didn't... I hadn't stopped you, you'd still be talking about Moneyball. Huh. Moneyball comes on FX. I'll watch it for like a good 40 minutes. But I think uh, yeah, this episode isn't about Moneyball. But um, <laughs> unlike Jaws, Moneyball was a movie that you liked and I didn't. So right. I think it had this feeling of you trying to convince me. For 20 yeah, minutes. It's, it's one more instance of me being right and you being wrong. <laughs> um, so, um, but Jaws, we all we all like Jaws, right? Jaws is my number two on my horror list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love Jaws. Here's the thing. Like, That's one of the movies I asked on Facebook to my friends like, is it a horror movie? But like, it has to be. Uh, the answer Even, is a unequivocal yes. It's just it, <laughs> it, it's just also half adventure movie. That's it is, of, and, it and occasionally somebody in, gets eaten and blood right. is everywhere. Like and it that's, takes place largely in the daylight, which is rare. Yeah, uh, but when done right, is very it's effective. More, it's more frightening, I think. Which is uh, reminds me of a movie that is nowhere on this list. I don't know if we got any votes, but Brad Anderson's Session Nine. Oh, that's a great movie. I got, great, I got that's one. a great. You got one. It's a great movie, that's and it takes my, place almost except for like the one part where the kids in the uh, the the young man is in the basement and the power goes out yeah such a great movie. it takes place in the daytime like the entire movie is in the daytime i never saw it i need to see it it's really good um yeah so i just i don't want to go into a lot of detail except to except to talk about what you brought up is the idea it's like jaws i have to defend that as a horror movie so often and people are like i, I feel like it, it's more of like an action adventure it's like did you see that opening scene yeah. Did you see the Ben, ben Tramer's Gard- Gard- Ben Gardner's ben head pop out? Like, did you see uh, the eight-year-old kid get flopped around like a rag doll by the shark before a fountain of blood gets uh, spews out of the water? Like, it's just like, it, you know, and just like how how frightened right before the Ben Gardner scene when Hooper has decided to go underwater at night, like with, you know, with in waters green, where he knows there is a shark, yeah, a giant <laughs> shark. And like, and there's like uh, you know, and it's that eerie kind of green light coming off the boat. It's like, that is not an adventure scene. That is a horror scene. You know, Quint's death is not adventurous. Right. All right. It is horrific. He's and, going and somewhere he's never been before. But the thing that I was talking about earlier about like, uh, still being scared after the movie you were talking about the Blair Witch that's uh, I mean that's a almost a universal experience uh, I don't know just mean because it's a universal movie well but done. a universal experience with Jaws is people being like trepidatious about the ocean after they see Jaws it's yeah. hard for me to swim in my pool <laughs> thinking about Jaws <laughs> yeah go on a, go on a lake when you haven't, when you can't see the bottom, oh, that, or I, like that. In lakes, I worry about Bill Bill Pullman. I mean, Blake Placid, and it's oh, changed, okay. oh, changed that's my life. Right. That's oh, different. Brendan Gleeson, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so the uh, Stephen King short story with the like kids out on the raft on the the like oh the raft yeah is, is it called the raft I believe so yeah and I think it was made one into, of those imaginative titles <laughs> and I think it was made into a a, a short like part like a part of a an anthology or something like that. Um, and I think it was called the raft and there's like this mass. That's it's just like to all, uh, all they can see is it's just a big sort of shadow under the water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's terrifying. Yeah. It's a, it's a creepy he's, little, I read too. a lot of Stephen King. His short stories stick with me more than anything else. Cause he's got to get right to it. That's the thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so jaws is not only a horror movie, it is one of the best precisely because i mean you talk about you care about the characters in dawn of the dead you care about those characters in jaws i mean uh-huh. shark you know shark hits up against the cage in 
you know, and Hooper's inside, you're like, holy shit, look at the size of that shark. And Richard Dreyfus is so small. This is the cage that go in the water. Right. Okay. Yeah. But what's right. in the water? Shark in the water. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which shark? Uh, is it our shark? Our shark. Um, ah, in the water. There was a... Uh, <laughs> Again, I'll mention Buffy because I've been rewatching season two or just finished rewatching season two. There's an episode where there's like essentially like a sea demon that slays people and leaves only their skin. That's not good. That's bad. Or or actually, that's not actually. (laughs) There's a twist to it. But anyway, that's they just find skin behind. And Xander says, "This was no boating accident." (laughs) (laughs) What's the end of season two of Buffy? Uh, The coming is the finale it's an angel thing. yeah 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 but this it. is right before that got the episode go fish where xander joins the swim team yeah i remember that one <laughs> it's one of the silliest it's such a weird episode and it has the best final shot of any episode anyway it's a corny episode that but it has not have sounded more like an issue of archie comics <laughs> right, yeah xander joins the swim team. Uh, although that episode also contains uh, or includes uh, people who would go on to be famous shane west remember him nice oh yeah and then um I think he's a doctor. Much more famous. Uh, Wentworth uh, Miller. Miller. Writer of Stoker. Writer of Stoker. Yeah. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. Recently out uh, Gaiman. Uh, I love Neil like Gaiman. Neil Gaiman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went right. for the same joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> number eight, The Exorcist. Which I saw, I rewatched uh, two nights ago. I need to rewatch it. I planned on, I had the, <laughs> I had the Shining and The Exorcist on my table. I was going to try and rewatch both. Got to one of them. Didn't get to The Exorcist. Um, cause I like the exorcist, but I feel like I saw it in college and I feel like I might have been a little, I liked it, but I might've been a little too cool for school at that point to actually be scared by it. I didn't think of it as being very scary at the time. I don't find it scary okay. now. So what's it's annoying because on the Blu-ray or on any poster, it says the scariest movie of all time, which obviously sets up a certain sta- a right. certain like thing right. like, Oh, okay. But yeah, I saw it. I think I saw it when I was in high school, like for the first time in full and this has stuck with me for every type of ec- like exorcism movie or like possession movie. They don't, with the exception of Evil Dead, I guess, because that's kind of a possession movie, but it's more of like gore. But they don't scare me. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a, re- I don't know if it's like a religious based thing. Like if I was, if I was like a some kind of devout Catholic Christian or something, like it would like have a bigger effect on me or something. But yeah. for whatever reason, those kind of movies that involved like a priest needs to come here and get this thing out of me. That doesn't like that doesn't terrify me. Now the Exorcist, there's so much going on in that movie besides yeah. the just that like just kind of what Friedkin does with the Friedkin, yeah Friedkin does with yeah. the mood and everything. It's really effectively made. I love. I love the atmosphere in it. I think the acting's fantastic from all involved. I think it has some great memorable sequences in it, but it's not a movie where I'm, I think about it after, uh, after I've watched it. I don't think about it as like a, well, that affected me greatly. I, I wonder if it didn't have the effect on me. It should have, because I was already familiar with the film repossessed before <laughs> I saw the exorcist classic. Do you ever repossessed? I'll, yeah. Also featuring an adult Linda Blair. Uh, yeah. Um, and in retrospect, repossessed, not that great, but there are some gags in that movie that are so funny to me. Like there's the serious scene where Leslie Nielsen talking with the uh, he's got the like shadows of the blinds on his face. Mm-hmm. And then he turns to where he's in a different, completely different position where the window is no longer shining on him. And he still has the shadows of the blinds on his face. And then the other one I love is right at the beginning when the younger priest, after he gives the Eucharist at church, he washes out the uh, 
the chalice or whatever that had the you know the blood of Christ in it, and then behind the pulpit, you he has a dishwasher and he puts the cup in like upside down and closes it. I got to put this on my list. <laughs> uh, it's not a great movie, but there are some gags that really stuck with me. Anyway, um, I don't, I don't know. I, haven't, I don't have anything else to say about The Exorcist. Yeah, I uh, I watched it. It's the next episode of More Than One Lesson is going to be about The Exorcist. Every every it's time okay. I every time I watch The Exorcist, I think, how old is Max von Sydow? Because like in that movie, he seems like he's pushing seventy. He was born. <laughs> He was born 100, and he'll die 100. All right? <laughs> like Steve Martin. Okay. It's, it's astounding. Yeah, I watched it with my, my co-host, Josh. It was his first time ever seeing it because he is somebody. Uh, I should uh, let you know that uh, More Than One Lesson, my other podcast, it is uh, film criticism from a Christian point of view. Both mm-hmm. my co-host and I uh, are devout Christians. And uh, spiritual stuff in film has never bothered me. I don't know why. I feel like maybe it should, but it doesn't. Uh, it, it affects Josh to a tremendous degree. And uh, if and we're having a guest on the show, and Exorcist is his favorite film, and he is and he is also a Christian. And so, I told Josh, like, look, you don't need to be there for this episode. If you are bothered by this, like, genuinely disturbed by it, then you don't need to you don't need to to do it. And he goes, no, I'll, I'll do it. So he watched it. He didn't find it nearly as that's the thing. If anybody was going to be disturbed by it, it would have been him. Hmm. And he didn't find it that disturbing. It's a great movie, and there are things that are frightening about it, but I don't find it frightening i really feel like you had to have seen it in 1973 or like Hmm. read the book and be like really into it um i mean that that i mean that let jesus fuck you thing like in 73 you didn't see a lot of that you know so like that would be deeply emotionally disturbing which cuts of the movie do you watch uh which one i I watched the one that i was that was available for me to buy on cinema now uh which (laughs) and i believe it was the uh like the one with the extra few minutes added so they have the crab walk thing there's the the spider walk and it has like i think there's like the inserts of the the demon like face in certain spots which actually does creep me out yeah that that works pretty well and there's a lot more lee j cobb which is always a win yeah Um, for sure by the way the um the "Quote unquote true story," whatever you believe, that inspired the novel *The Exorcist*. That turned into the *The Exorcist*. Uh, happened in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where I'm from. Um, and it was it was a boy in the real story again, "quote unquote" real story. Um, and it happened at a hospital called Alexandria Brothers. I think Alexandria Brothers Hospital. It's uh, it does I don't know if it exists anymore. But um, there's a museum in downtown St. Louis called the city museum, which is a crazy awesome place uh, that everyone should go. But there's a subset of the city museum that is like the St. Louis architecture museum. And they have the, um, uh, uh, like up on the walls, they have the facades, like the gargoyles and stuff from the Alexandria brothers hospital where the exorcist took place. And they are as terrifying as anything in a movie. (laughs) You know, I think any gargoyle, which is meant to be seen up at the top of the building, like, Face to face, up close, is really weird and scary. Like, why are yeah. people, why were people putting these on buildings? That's why Ghostbusters works for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to number seven, Rosemary's Baby, yeah. one that I also haven't seen in a long time. But you've seen it. Yeah, I have seen. Okay. I've definitely seen it. Um, and I feel like it's again, it's a it's a great movie. Yeah. But I don't feel as scared by it by other things. I'm I'm disturbed by it in the same way I'm disturbed by any Polanski because. <laughs> He just creates such a sense of paranoia and everyone being against our main character. That yeah. gets me more than any of the spiritual elements, although those are also deeply disturbing, uh, but not not necessarily frightening. What it, it there is something very frightening to me about being the one person who like everyone is targeting, and just when you think, oh, this person I've got on my side, nope, 
that person is also in on it as well. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's something that Polanski would return to again and again. Um, but he does it most effectively with this because frankly, partially cause I think, I mean, you do not get more vulnerable a protagonist than a, a, a pregnant woman played by Mia Farrow, mm-hmm. right. um, who weighs like 80 pounds with the baby. Um, right. and so, yeah, so I think it's very effective just for its atmosphere. Yeah, I, I love Rosemary's Baby. I, it just came out on a Criterion uh, right. Blu-ray not too yeah. long ago. Watched it immediately. I love that movie. I love the, the score, the the use of that, which they play it because I was at the Universal's Halloween Horror Nights not too long ago. They play that incessantly there, and I'm like, oh, really? that's great. Like, <laughs> good job, guys. Like, way to use that one. But um, just How yeah. How was Halloween Horror Nights this year? I had fun with it. I um. I like the mazes and stuff. I like yeah. taking my friend who is a male that is older than me who screams uncontrollably. Um, it's humorous to me, but it's just a lot of fun. The, the Walking Dead maze was pretty entertaining. The uh, the Evil Dead one was pretty Undoubtedly pretty more cool. developed than the, sh- than the show. <laughs> <laughs> there are no characters in it, and yet there's still more character development. Have you gone this year? No. You no. and I went along with some, a bunch of... Yeah, I think three years ago we went. I think I thought it was only two years ago. It was whenever the thing remake came was yeah coming that was out. that was like three years ago because yeah. it was there was a maze but the there was also the hostile maze which I really yeah. enjoyed yes. uh, uh, but yeah I had never been before we went two or three years ago and I didn't like it's is really seriously not for children no yeah oh no <laughs> it's, it's, it's barely for adults and, yeah. and don't go to that bill and ted's thing ever the, the uh, they closed little, it did you see that did they, they actually close today they closed it oh thank Why god uh, it was like it was. Offensive in every way, but not like Halloween Horror Nights offensive. Like it had like gay. It was homophobic. It was just kind of uh, like racist and stuff. Well, every joke is just like <laughs> it's like and, and even, racial slur plus homophobia plus sex thing equals like mass hysteria. And like a it's, pop culture reference. Yeah, pop culture reference. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? yeah it's. I re- did not know about this. Yeah, there was a big thing going. How on. How dare they tarnish the Bill and Ted's name? Yeah. All right. So we should move on. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the way that other people get like about those dumb Back to the Future movies is how I feel about the Bill and Ted's movies. So let's let's just uh, re- let's just look at what just happened here. You just said the dumb Back to the Future movies. Let's see right. what what kind of hoverboards when you were a kid. Hoverboards over right. kid. And, uh, gotta, my my iPad has a gray sports almanac cover. Yeah. yeah. I would venture to say you are a fan of Back to the yeah. Future. I'm one. I, I am. Tractor. That said. That said, Bill and Ted, I think, arguably has some of the best time travel logic I've seen yeah. in, in yeah, most yeah. movies yeah. involving time travel. Yeah. Like leaving the keys for themselves. All, yeah, yeah. yeah. When we get out, we just have to go back and steal the keys from my dad and leave them here. And then they're there. It's a smarter movie that people give it credit for. Yeah. No. And the fact that they're there means, like, you can't think, like, oh, because they got out, they're going to forget to leave the keys. Well, no, they clearly didn't, or else the keys wouldn't have been there. So yeah. everything works. Bogus Dirty also has fun stuff going on there, too. <laughs> Um, but then there's the second movie in which they die, and that's awesome. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Rosemary's Baby, I yeah. really enjoy <laughs> the um, the the whole like she's 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 getting impregnated sequence is amazing to me, and just every, <laughs> the way it, the way it plays out, the way it harnesses a certain kind of paranoia mixed with this surreal dream like aspect going, and just because John Cassavetti seems so convincing, like it, yeah. it's just <laughs> everything about that. The whole sequence, little in the movie, just works for me. You know? And the weird dreams with Kennedy in them, yeah. playing Catholics only. Yeah, right. it's, it's it's so much. It's a trip. It's yeah. a trip. That movie. That movie does scare me. It's really good. Okay, all right. Number on. six is Halloween. We've already talked about it a couple of times. Yeah, but it is that one. It's a seminal film. That one scares me. That one. There's something about the image that I. 
where did I, what did I use this for? I used this image. May, oh, I oh yeah, okay. I used it for the post, which hasn't gone up yet. And it's the image. It's the long shot daytime when uh, the the girls are just walking down the street, yep. and Michael Myers is just standing in front of them, not close, far away. He's just standing, flagrant, watching, not doing anything, and then just slips behind the bush. Yeah, and it's like, holy shit! Are you kidding me? Like you you've been to my like you've been to my old place, and it's it's right off. You know, it was right off the street. Uh-huh. Uh, and so somebody walking along the sidewalk could walk up to my bedroom window. Now, of course, there were bars on it. Right. But um, we would often – we didn't have AC. So to keep ourselves cool, we would uh, le- we would have the door and the curtain o- – uh, sorry, the window and the curtain open. And I often had my – every time I would see Halloween, I had this thought. It's like I'd be laying in bed. It would be probably about 4 a.m. because that's when I would go to bed. And I thought if I roll over – and I see that white fucking face staring at me. <laughs> uh-huh. What do I do? Yeah. I know it's not going to happen, but good God, what if it did? Like, yeah. that's the thing is that more than anything, like, yes, the, the, the attacks are frightening in Halloween, but more than anything was just this, the idea that this thing can just be there yeah. all the time, just sitting and waiting and watching, which is why that reveal uh, in the darkness that shot where she's just there like clutching her knife and she doesn't know where he is. And there's this, just this big patch of inky darkness behind her. And then like, like your, like the viewer's eyes are getting adjusted to the darkness. That's when you just see the white face just slowly, but surely illuminate. Oh, Halloween is so frightening. It's a masterfully made, like John Carpenter clearly understood so much about the, the technology of, of filmmaking mm-hmm. to do like the things you're talking about with the exposures, you know, on film and, and, uh, how he knew to light, um, the white mask and, yeah. and it coming out, but also the, the tracking shots, uh, are, you mm-hmm. know, for, fantastic. Yeah. There it's, it's really astounding how, um, assured that film is from a technical, uh, yeah. uh an aesthetic standpoint. I've, literally just what you're describing with Michael standing. I've just, I've dubbed that the Michael Myers death stare. And I literally just wrote in into like a 1300 word essay for a friend of mine site. Who's been writing an, an essay a day about the, the Halloween franchise. That's branded at the naptown nerd.blogspot.com for a plug there. Wait, say it again. Naptown nerd.blogspot.com. Okay. Um, there's a scene late in Halloween where Dr. Loomis He's coming to Lori's rescue. Lori's being strangled at this point by Michael after she's thought to have killed him for the third time. Um, second time. Neck, <laughs> eye, chest. Um, he gets up. He walks into the other room with Lori exhausted. He starts strangling her. Dr. Loomis comes up, shoots Michael in the head. The The next scene involves Dr. Loomis walking over to see what he's just done. And Michael's just he's just standing there in the doorway. It's black. You just see the silhouette of him and hear him breathing. That to me is the that's a, that's one of the scariest images in film to me because there's nothing stopping this thing. It is a void of evil. There is no reasoning with it. There's no understanding why he's doing said things. You take away the retconning in the sequel of her becoming of him becoming the sister to Lori, to Lori and you right. just there's no purpose to this person. All he is is to be this malevolent force that's going to kill whatever's in its focus, which happened to be Lori and her friends at this particular night. And so seeing Michael just there there's nothing else to it except scariness to me and that's that wow. encompasses my feeling of halloween i think I'm it's an absolute perfect chills thinking about it's a perfect scene. horror movie it's a perfect example of simplicity working at its finest yeah everything about that but dean cundy cinematography is amazing in that movie it's just 
that's one of the things is you mentioned, David, you mentioned like how self-assured it is. A lot of the horror movies we've been talking about are very stylish. This film, while it has style, it's not a style that calls attention to itself. In fact, in many ways, it, it, it specifically says like, it's the, you know, it's a pleasant town. There's nothing special about it. The house in which uh, the attacks happen, it's not haunted. It's not creepy. There's no cobwebs. It's just a house. Like everything just seems so matter of fact, which is one of the things that's most unnerving about Michael Myers is how matter of fact he is. Well, it goes back standing to that, and staring. The thing I keep coming back to that mundane setting, these yeah. things happening in, mon- in mundane relatable settings. Yeah. But before we move on, that, that, uh, uh, I remember when I lived in one of my places in Chicago, I lived on the sixth floor, uh, my last place there. And I would think, like, at least I don't have to worry about someone peering in my window. But I think, what if I looked out and someone was peering in my window and I'm on the sixth floor? That would be the most terrifying <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, number five, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. To that's me, one, the scariest movie of all time. Um, and that's it's certainly probably in the top five for me. And it's, it's a movie that list. has come up a lot on Battleship Retention for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Partially because I think it has maybe the greatest ending of any movie ever oh yeah oh my god <laughs> dance uh yeah but i mean just like that uh i always forget her name um why am i drawing a blank on her name i can think of franklin i can't think of <laughs> the uh, sister uh the but the actress's name is it's like carol marilyn 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 burns. burns 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 uh anyway her just like losing her fucking mind at the end yeah. it's like I, can, I I have never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the theater, and I hope I get to oh, someday because I, I just can't imagine like walking out of that. I just saw they had a they, I saw it the other like three weeks ago. They had a thirty five print of it at the the Aerotech and you went theater. And I went inside, and uh-huh. Gunnar Henson was there and everything. Q and A afterwards, oh, talking. To, oh, I, uh, I would have told you if I knew this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um. We've talked about it ad nauseum, so yeah. let's let Aaron talk about it since he's seen it so recently. It It's a movie... When I first watched that movie, and it was... God, what, how it must have been... 14 when I first watched that movie like in full. That's the, that scene where... Before even that that amazing dolly shot just of, of of her walking to the house where her boyfriend gets killed the um him just walking into the house he's hearing noises he walks oh. into the 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 area this lumbering figure emerges screams inaudible noises at him <laughs> knocks him the fuck out grabs this bo- like grabs his body takes it into the room door slam and oh, just and it's the that, most violent it is the most violent which the- is like which is tagged with this great it's not even like a music cue it's just like here's a part where we're using score and it's just like and it, the way it presents that is so like just visceral and shocking and like what and terrifying all at the same time it just completely while you're already in a certain mood for the movie you're into because you've walked into a theater that has a t- name of a movie called the texas chainsaw massacre uh-huh. and night courts john larrikin is just narrated <laughs> these, these these horrible events have happened and so there's that sense of dreads there and you get that the the, the Leatherface himself becomes this crazy iconic figure, but the, I mean, God, it even has the best like dinner table scene of all time. Like, there's so <laughs> many things about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Have you ever listened to the commentary? On oh that? yeah, I have. And like, it sounds like that and like the Evil Dead movie like comment. They make those movies just sound like hell to work on. Yeah, but like they're probably while like difficult and challenging in every way and 
which complete with like real blood from the actual actors it also uh-huh. sounds like the most fun you'd ever have like in a summer to like make this movie it has that kind of that um that punk rock feel that you were describing right. earlier that that kind of vibe yeah. to it and just it's making but it and it's so yeah everything of it yeah texas chainsaw is such a do you remember um and maybe this is something that i dreamed but i feel like 10 or more years ago when i and that like ifc was a channel that most people didn't have they had a thing called like i think it was called like talking during the movie where they would play a movie with the commentary track Mm -hmm. i feel like that's where i saw the texas chainsaw massacre commentary track Hmm. uh i love commentaries uh, listeners tell me if i made that up but uh i feel like ifc used to play movies with the commentary track on sometimes texas chainsaw 2 is also really good dennis hopper Hopper with with mini chainsaws Um, did you ever see um the next generation with uh, i've seen i've unfortunately seen all of the texas chainsaw massacre movies i haven't seen any of the remakes i hear texas chainsaw 3d was not terrible (laughs) it would appear i heard wrong that movie cannot do math here's that that movie by, by that movie is a sequel to the first texas chainsaw massacre okay discounts everything that ever come in between okay it 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 begins at the end of the first texas chainsaw so like where there's suddenly like 15 other family members in the in the sawyer household <laughs> and it has a there's a baby in there the baby becomes the main protagonist for the rest of the movie the movie takes place in 2013 where the baby has turned into with the, movie, the original movie set in 1974. The baby has turned into a sprightly 20 year old in 2013. The movie cannot do math. That is how bad the Texas Chainsaw 3D is. <laughs> that the baby should be 39. It's not right? like they don't, yeah. they don't try to hide this fact either. You, you know, it's, you know, it was 1974 and you, and you know, it's, it's 2013, to, but it's supposed to take place in 2013. It's supposed like, to. They yeah. They don't say it takes place in, 93 or 94 yeah you see headstones of 2013 like it's just it's ridiculous i also i i also i can't stand like so a lot of people want to give the remake a pass they take the original the jessica beale michael right, bay's yeah. produced remake of they want to give that a pass because it's like well it was scary there's no grit there there's nothing there that makes texas chainsaw what it is and that's and why i hate that here's movie. what's fascinating is that texas chainsaw the toby hooper version is violent it is disturbing. Not a lot of blood, not a lot of gore. There's you have people, almost none. You have people being put up on meat hooks. You have, but you don't see the meat hook going in. You don't see the blood dripping down, but you know what's happening the there. And that's disturbing there, yeah. enough. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a, and so that's the thing. And I'm sure the new one, the 2003, I didn't see it, but I'm sure it has plenty of blood, plenty of gore, but I bet it's not nearly as scary. It's as got super film. cool shots of cameras going through the bullet hole she just put in her head. Like, it's, it oh, exists. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, that was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Like, the camera going through, like, I remember Panic Room was a big Panic Room was ridiculous. Like, like, it goes through the handle of a coffee cup just to show that it can. Yeah. Panic Room is, I think doesn't get credit for being as stupid as it is. <laughs> I think far too many people like Panic Room because I think it's, it's an incredibly fun. stupid it's, movie. You do get to see Dwight Yoakam kill Jared Leto, and that's a that's a win no matter how you... You get to see Dwight Yoakam kill cornrowed Jared Leto. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I um, What do you think the odds are that those, those cornrows were his idea? <laughs> like, By the way, I... Um, uh, have seen I saw Dallas Buyers Club and Jared Leto was so good in it that I have a hard time hating on him as much as I have Man, for ten years. It's hard to think <laughs> that the last movie he was in was like five years ago. It, it was closer to six. Oh, okay. Inside right. joke. Um, 
Uh, let's move on to number four, and this is something for six. We've done this for six and a half years. This podcast, I've managed to not on the podcast admit that I've mm. never seen John Carpenter's The Thing, and now I have to admit it because I've never seen John Carpenter's The Thing. I know. I have it on Blu-ray. I can lend it to I, you. I know. There it, it yeah, is. It happens. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, marvelous. That's what I it's, hear. It's wonderful. It's and you know what? It it in many ways it goes against what I the the horror movies that I most like because there's really not that much character development and there's nope. there are character types and it's just like all right we cast Donald Moffat and we we've got that guy <laughs> we know what that means it's like all right we cast Keith David we know what that means um but I was still invested and I was still and I mean there you, you cannot beat those special effects you can't they are amazing there's a jump scare in the movie that always gets me every single time it involves putting your hands in the wrong place at the wrong time oh very much it it is the it is killer there's a sequence involving dogs that's entirely chilling and it doesn't it doesn't involve any humans whatsoever it just involves a dog walking from one place to another place and it's fantastic and i'll tell you like you know the theory i know the theory with jaws and other movies is that like you don't show the monster right away and admittedly, the movie doesn't necessarily show the monster right away, but uh, like the the special effects start pretty quick, pretty early, yeah. like within I don't know twenty minutes, twenty five minutes maybe, um, and then it's just like, and uh, that does not lessen the effect of the of the of the special effects as you go throughout the movie because the nature of the monster is that it's always changing and it can always do something a little different. And so, um, it's just, uh, and it's got a nice, there's a nice claustrophobia there. Um, Ennio Morricone score is yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. Kurt Russell just badassing it through Antarctica yeah. is like, why not? And a sombrero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you haven't seen that either. <laughs> that's, that's a big selling I don't point know if for me. The thing, the thing game is good. The, there's a PlayStation two thing game that I really enjoyed. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. That thing uh, maze. At, uh, I know it was based on the the, the new one. That's a movie, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but they. Um, I remember uh, you you and I in front of the show. Jason Eakin went to see the maze at uh, Halloween Horror Nights for the thing, and Jason and I said like, I-, I wish every hour they like stopped the maze proper, turned on the lights had all the performers come out and you could walk through and admire the amazing costumes because they were amazing. <laughs> and I was like, I guess that kind of ruins the, oh, well. It's, right. um, we, we just to mention that we've mentioned the thing and the fly, both remakes, probably right. some of the two of the best remakes of all time. I would have yeah. to say <laughs> no question about it. All right, let's move on to number three psycho. All right. What do we have to say about it? Like, I feel like as we get to these last three, it's almost like, what do we say? Like, everyone knows these movies are great. <laughs> the big thing that I will say is that, although not about Psycho, is that the number two movie, no one would, I, I, I am of the opinion, no one would ever have guessed that would wind up as number two. Well, let's talk about um, number three right but, but now. Number three, yeah. So, uh, Psycho is such a thoroughly wonderful movie that I, w- what can be said about it? It is that's Psycho. Not- what do you have to say about Psycho? Psycho is one of my favorite movies of all time. Psycho is on my list. It's my number. On my, it's my number one on my top right. horror list. Um, it is the other movie that I question if it's horror. Doesn't matter. It's, I think it's horror. Um, it is certainly a thriller as well. The thing I love about Psycho, and I watched, I watched it last year. It was the most recent time I watched it for Halloween. Actually, I had a lot of friends over. And we were like, "What about Psycho?" And 
I love that it ch- it ch- it changes um, perspectives like a couple times in that movie. That's something mm-hmm. that's really interesting and effective about that. Like you start with Marion and her bad deed and the, all the things that the toll it takes on her and everything, and no. then you t- then you switch to Norman, and it's becomes a it just flips everything on its head. That's it's such a unique sort of thriller in that way where it you know it gives you a good chunk of story to focus on one character and sympathize with that person and then eliminates that person completely from the story and and allows you to get into the mind of some guy who god i don't even know how to can i don't even know how to think about this movie in terms of people not knowing the twist and the at the time it happened and things like that yeah so it's that's yeah that 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 gets to the thing that we've talked about before one like once a movie has become a classic it all it almost like loses some of its impact to new viewers because they already know it's a classic and so i don't think psycho certainly probably not the first time i saw it which is like high school i probably didn't appreciate just how like lurid and strange and like a, a, excessive and uh sadistic and fucked up it, it is uh, a, as a movie because i just said oh yeah this is a classic movie that everyone knows and so i uh it almost lent it a uh, a certain safety that uh, i yeah. think detracts from the movie because it is it was but when you watched uh, it did the safety go away that's what maybe happened not for as me. a high schooler but in in reviewings yes okay um but uh, it's one of the, I don't know if anyone besides me saw that not very good movie Hitchcock. From I last saw it year. on the plane coming back from uh, Switzerland. It's, I I liked it more than most. I, <laughs> I don't think it's amazing, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> I, I didn't love it, but I do think I do give it credit for for dwelling on like how uh, how how weird a choice Psycho was for him to make as a movie and how much that like scared people. It's a film that when I when I ask like did it lose its safety for you? I was the same way when I watched it. was like, okay, psycho. I don't think I knew the twist. I knew kind of what it was, but not entirely. Um, and I just went and be like, okay, it's a classic horror movie. I've seen classic horror movies before. They're not very scary. Um, but, if, but of course, and of course I knew about the shower scene. I didn't know when it was. Mm-hmm. And I did not know how, I did not know that it was the main character in the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I watched, I'm like, holy shit, what? This may, what and just and from then on like it is just a movie that keeps you on your toes because when you shift perspective so jarringly even if even if you've seen it a million times and even if you've seen it 50 60 years after it came out like it keeps you on your toes because you know as uh martin balsam is walking up those stairs like oh my god it's like Mm -hmm. slow 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 holy shit really fast death like it just it's like, I don't know what, like the pace is all over the place in the, in a good way. And I just, oh, I have such, I have such tremendous respect for Hitchcock for making that movie because it doesn't see, it re- really doesn't seem like a lot of his other films. Well, I mean, I would, I mean, maybe that and the birds are the only movies I could see as like pure maybe um, frenzy movies that are like horror movies mm-hmm. out of his catalog of, of suspense films and thrillers yeah. and mistaken identity adventure type movies like psycho the birds and and frenzy i guess i just frenzy's not as good those are movies that stick out in because they they're, they seem to be operating on a different level that have this weird i guess evil to them that's yeah. just out of the ordinary for what hitchcock was tr- mostly trying to do with his films 
Okay, um, let's move on to number two. Now, this is the one you said people wouldn't think of. Right, well... I don't know, because I think of it as one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And right. it's, it's Ridley Scott's Alien. Yeah, and I should specify, uh, for a long time in the submission process, number one, by far. Hmm. Like, it was... And then and then the movie that wound up as number one, like, just get, got submitted. A late surge. A late surge, and then, sub, again, substantial margin. <laughs> uh, but... But yeah, Alien was number one for a long time, and I was thrilled because I love Alien. I think mm-hmm. it's amazing. Certainly, it's, it is a sci-fi film, but there are a lot of uh, elements of, of horror. It is a film that part. I was talking with uh, with a friend of the show, Josh Long, and my my co-host um, that uh, that of all the movies that they are going that they go back and make three D. I feel like Alien would be a good one. <laughs> Can you imagine that Corridors. Tom Skerritt in the in the air duct sequence and the way that ends with the alien reaching out right. for him, like imagine that in 3d, like, and just, and that's an instance where like 3d in some cases, this is a weird tangent for me to go on. I apologize. But like in some cases, 3d like opens up the world. Whereas if you were to watch alien, it would just close it in on you. And, uh, and that to me, just the oppressive environment. And it's just so claustrophobic and creepy. And also just there to me, there's always the idea that like, even if the alien never shows up, these characters' lives still aren't that good. Like, it's still, it's still, like, they still don't seem very happy. They're blue-collar workers. They're just trying to get home. Yeah. It, uh, Fighting with each other about uh, getting full shares and the whole mm-hmm. deal, you know? Right. Um, but it's... Uh, <laughs> but it's... Um, what's funny to me, I talked about, like, uh, way back, uh, like, three hours ago, I talked about Nightmares of, Nightmare on Elm Street. Not really three hours ago, but um, close. Uh as being sort of a progenitor of all the like slash the slasher films that would come in the eighties, and obviously we talked about um, Halloween, but Alien does really, in a lot of ways, unfold like a Friday the Thirteenth movie, where oh like, yeah, it's like Friday the Thirteenth Three, where they all go up to the cabin, you know, and then he's picking them off in different ways. Yeah. It's essentially like a, it has that slasher sort of uh, structure to it, and it's and I mean and the elements, the sci-fi elements. In it, and by the way, just because it takes place in space doesn't make it sci-fi. What makes it sci-fi, I think, is the is the role of the corporation and the role of you know the the robot Ash, the world building involved in creating yeah. the 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 atmosphere of the film and the the, yeah. the the place that these people exist and what they're doing. Yeah. It's undoubtedly in the future, but it seems like an actually uh, a surprisingly plausible future. Like these are not like the, the spacecraft is not. You know, uh, it, it looks like an oil rig. An oil rig. It's like an app, you know? Apple store, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, um, so yeah. And so, uh, but even the sci-fi elements are rather horrific. Like the idea that it's like, oh, there's a robot, and he has ensured that this will happen, and he is doing everything he can to make sure that you that these people are stuck in this ship with this thing, and it's. And so, like, when you realize, not only does this thing just kill, but there's also this malevolent force pushing them towards it. And so, like, it's just, uh, and it just goes to, it goes to what I've been talking about over and over. The movies, the horror movies that are most effective for me emotionally are the ones with a sense of inevitability. And there was an inevitability to them showing up on that planet because they were, they were meant to. And I don't mean by, you know, the gods. I mean... <laughs> you know the corporation the engineers the engineers <laughs> oh jeez oh, damn it prequels why do you have to ruin everything so but you like you like alien alien is 
my number five on my list. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. But most of my top 20 are favorite movies of mine in general anyway. So, I mean, it comes with the territory. But Alien is it's just masterful filmmaking from a director who's... What, what is this? Is, is this his second movie? Is this after The Duelists for Ridley Scott? Is I, that think, it, it, I, I think, think it's, it's doing right after The yeah, Duelists. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, Jesus. And then like Blade Runner's like three years after that. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> and then a substantial taper off. Yeah. <laughs> There's some pickup. Would you find like, uh, what, Legend? Legend is really terrible. It's, yeah. it's stylish, that's for sure. <laughs> he Thelma and Louise. That wasn't bad. Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise is okay. Yeah. I like White Black Squall. Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down's really good. His cut of Kingdom of Heaven is among his best, I'd say. Really? Okay. For I me. Saw I, that. I, I saw the theatrical good. cut. I really like um, Matchstick Men, too. Alien is a fantastic movie. It does every. The way it constructs scenes focused on care on soul characters and what like the whole harry dean stanton death sequence of him arriving in this very moody location the atmosphere is super thick the the alien that kills it feels it's a part of the environment it's just the way everything operates in this whole sequence and then it finally just um, it reveals itself it just slightly it just suddenly starts moving it's like what that's not a piece of the ship that was hanging there it's an actual like whole thing that's grown four or five six times the size we last saw when it was scurrying across the table out of john hurt like (laughs) everything about that movie it's so creative and effectively terrifying and there's no escape because you're in this spaceship this ginormous spaceship but you're still trapped inside of this spaceship it's i like that the spaceship is leaking too like it's a submarine movie yeah (laughs) you know yeah it kind of doesn't make sense like where's the water i've (laughs) i've heard i believe scott said that like he chose he did that because there's a there's a moody element to it but he's like uh i don't know it's the condensation (laughs) from like the Air, the air conditioning that sounds good like he was just his commentary is a lot of fun why aren't there more too. submarine based horror films like what was that one below with two below, below that's, that's yeah, one yeah who did yeah. pitch black which is a fine alien ripoff i think yeah <laughs> all right now it is time for our number one uh movie and uh i uh will preemptively say that i'm perfectly okay with this i uh, uh i called it the minute we started this uh-huh. uh because which is why I was so surprised with the early surge of Alien. I thought, okay, I guess our listeners are not what I thought they were. Uh, and then they showed that they were exactly what I thought they were. And that, that I don't mean for that to be an insult. I don't mean for that to be an insult. Anyway, um, uh, you, sorry. Uh, um, it's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> sorry, you really threw me for a loop. Why? Because there is like, a, I know you're not a football fan, but there is like a famous... Uh, rant of a f- coach after a game in a press conference oh, okay. saying the Bears are who we thought they were and we let them off the hook <laughs> he gets very angry he's like you want to crown them crown their ass anyway it's it's take you out and show what it, show it's you one what of my like. favorite things ever and so when you said they are who we thought they were oh okay it's the only thing I could it completely threw me off okay, so sorry. Uh, it's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining probably Which, could have guessed this I guess at this point <laughs> like pro- listeners probably could have guessed yeah. this at this point if they're like what's the they're bleeding out one movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and, anyway uh it's a movie that I've uh, uh like some of the other stuff we've talked about on this list that when I, I saw it at a certain age and I I always liked it but didn't find it particularly scary I I find that I don't know what it is what's changed in me or what but um I find The Shining completely terrifying now. Yes. Uh, which I, I didn't as a younger person. But uh, it's, it, it is a, it's, a, it's a mix of, I mean, there are like things that happen, obviously, that are very scary. But uh, so much of it is just the, 
the the tone of of of, of weirdness and dread that hangs over and this. pondering yeah yeah and uh you know there's uh the, i even talked about how the movie room 237 gave me the willies <laughs> you know yes. just watching that like i felt really creeped out <laughs> Uh, about how weird the Overlook Hotel is and all the possible things that could be going on. And um, uh, I think a big part of it, you know, I want to pull in some of the things we've said about horror movies, the the sort of mundanity uh, of things. The the mix of, um, like like Damien's uh, 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 nanny. nanny in The Omen in the middle of a party, smiling and killing yourself, the 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 party atmosphere of you know the bartender and then um what's his name the previous caretaker who shows up as as the yeah. Grady Grady yeah. As, as as the waiter um like everything's so happy but you you know especially if you've seen the movie before but even if you haven't you know there's something really sinister and awful going on underneath here and he takes uh, Kubrick t- takes things from Stephen King's novel that. Like, um, Wendy sees like the guy in the dog mask, like going down on some, on another guy, which in the movie, in the book, like you have an idea of who that is and what's going on there, but you just like, it's such a weird, uh, <laughs> it's, sorry, it's Aaron's, uh, uh, background on his, on his iPhone. Um, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> it's like, I'm getting a call. Ah! <laughs> it's so fucking weird that you just see that. Uh, it it's i don't i don't know how to explain why that's terrifying yeah it has to i mean it must have to do with the layering of all these things shelly duvall suddenly seeing shelly duvall i don't know why she was nominated for like a razzie that year she's so like so innocent and like yeah i just feel bad for her although she but, she, she shouldn't shouldn't be smoking right in front of her kid while he's having his lunch doesn't but i help. guess that's a sign of the time but yeah seeing that image and just kubrick's zooms and like it's so weirdly frightening of just all these things stacking up on each other. And then you get to this, like, like just another, like, well, didn't see that coming. Uh I don't, I'm scared of this. That's weird. That whole, the whole movie has that just, I just, I just watched it last night. So I'm very proud of, I'm very happy. (laughs) And by the way, like any of these, like any of these, like top, nine i'd be like perfectly fine of being like the number one movie on this list but right. the shining is such a good movie and so that that scene we uh, i know we're dwelling on the scene with with wendy um but uh it is kind of like a uh it's a, it's a rush when that scene happens because you've seen weird shit happening the whole movie mm-hmm. and like it's only at that point that you realize that wendy hasn't seen all this stuff yes and suddenly she's confronted with this crazy stuff happening and it's the entire two hours you just experience all happening at once for her. And it's a, it's, it's, and a, the scores piling up yeah, on it too. Yeah. And just, it's just, um, Kubrick, <laughs> he, he's operating on like this, a different level with this shine. It's like, also, I clearly Tyler has something to say here. He's sitting, he's, he's like the guy in that Simpsons episode, the little guy who hasn't done anything yet. And you know, he's going to do something awesome. Um, but the last thing I want to say is that The Shining also has one of the most terrifying trailers of all time. Mm. It's just, oh, the, yeah. just the shot of the elevator and that crazy, weird, like, screechy music. And then the blood comes out in slow motion. I have to watch that trailer. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's really good. All right, what do you have to say? It is a wonderfully made film that has never frightened me ever. I saw it when I was a teenager. I've seen it a couple times since then. Maybe it'll. Maybe if I, if I watch it now, maybe the sheer disturbing nature of it, which there is, certainly... Uh-huh. Uh, maybe that will get me. It has never scared me at all. I watched it once in college, uh, and my roommate was sleeping in in our room. Uh, 
in neighboring the living room where the TV was. He told he woke up the next. He told me the next morning. I was listening to The Shining last night, and it was it's scary. It was scaring me a lot. <laughs> I, I could not get to sleep for the longest time. I, I don't mean to say that in a defiant way. No, I it's understand just to that. Say like, it's I, like I'm not scared. <laughs> right. I'm scared of a lot of things. We've talked but about the, a, how the Exorcist a, doesn't scare me whatsoever. Yeah, it's, it's a subjective not, thing. Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's one of those things that like. People say, here's the thing, people say like, oh, it's one of the best horror movies. I, it sounds strange, but part of me, I, I may, I differentiate between best and scariest. Um, because as far as quality of film and just the way it is made, I, Shining is, is amazing. It's a, it's a brilliantly made film. Um, but there, like scanning through it in my mind, and then I've seen Room 237 somewhat recently, so like that helped refresh my memory. It's like, oh, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. Still nothing, not uh, I, like I think nothing. in some ways Room 237 has made the movie even scarier for me because when I think about the Native American thing, it's mm. sort of like what I talked about with, the, with Poltergeist back five or so hours ago um, about this idea of feeling like you're safe in the suburbs, but that's all, that's false. Uh, it's almost like, uh, Americans having wiped out the Native Americans have like set up our country as like a place where we feel safe, but there's this whole history and truth and fact of human violence hanging over everything, and our entire way of life is so precarious and could devolve into complete barbarism at any time. And uh, our history informs everything that we are, and and every place that we go, we can't escape the fact that we've all that our our kind has done horrible things, and horrible things could happen again at any time. And there's just uh, centuries of, of 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 guilt and and uh, punishment wait, waiting to to revisit us. The uh, well, I mean, that's why we need to remain vigilant and like just just keep killing. <laughs> you know, like pro- I'm saying, problem solved. Uh-huh. You know. The explanation of the impossible window in room 37, oh. that destroys me. I was like, uh-huh. how, what? <laughs> That's just, yeah. Like, what's that? What crazy soundstage that happened? That I don't understand. Yeah. But it is, it is a wonderful movie. And, and, and I have no problem with it being considered one of the best, if not the best horror movie of all time. Um, I do wish that I just, and I guess that comes down to like, I mean, we've kind of talked about what it is that scares us, you know? And, and I mentioned, you know, my co-host of my other show, for him, supernatural things get him. Uh, Shining terrifies him. Uh, he will not mm-hmm. see the ring. And I don't say this to mock him, like, that's what gets him. For me, it's a certain type of human killer, and that's the killer that cannot be reasoned with. You're Leatherface, you're Michael Myers, and, of course, creatures. You can't argue with a shark. You can't argue with the alien. Yet. Uh, you- <laughs> well, yeah, pardon me. Pardon I meant me. that for shark, not alien. Yeah. <laughs> pardon me. I, I should have specified. Uh he won't listen. You can argue with him all you want. Right. Um, there was the, the scene of sharp debate uh, that got cut out of uh, Zombie. Out of but um, <laughs> yeah. but so that that's what gets me is like physical things. And it sounds weird because you mentioned, you know, with The Exorcist, like, you know, maybe certain maybe like Christians or Catholics would be bothered by supernatural things. Oddly enough, I am not. Uh, and I'm not sure why. Perhaps I should be. But to me, physical stuff that you cannot because that to me is like for people like us who use our brains and can speak fairly well. It's like, all right, I can be fairly persuasive and I can talk and argue and, and I can probably I can maybe make this work. 
but there's no arguing with a shark. There's no arguing with uh, a cannibal or anything like that. And there's no arguing with the souls of millions of genocided uh, Americans. Americans. I know, but they're not physically interacting with me. They are if you're at the Overlook Hotel. I know, so but, scary. I, but I'm not going there. I've said a few times that creepy kids are the thing that get me, and even screenshots of the two girls in The Shining make yeah. me squirm a little bit. I mean, that's ultimately why Shining is just like terrifying to me, among the myriad of other reasons. That said, Jack Nicholson, while also like intense and terrifying in the scenes that requires him to be, He's super hilarious in that movie, and yeah, his much, his use yeah. of the word "fuck" in The Shining yeah. is maybe some of my favorite in film. Like the, he says, "I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna, gonna bash, bash your, your fucking brains." brains in. Or where he says, "Why don't you start now and get the fuck out of here?" Like it's just like the way he, he casually tosses it out just amazes me. All right, um, this was fun. We've been going on way too long, <laughs> so we should wrap up right now. So thank you for listening. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find this list and a bunch of write-ups by the by our writers, including Tyler. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do any of them uh, for the top 25 films uh, on this list. And all, uh, all sorts of movie reviews and links to the other podcasts in the BP fleet. Uh, that's at battleshipretention.com. You can find you can uh, email me, David, at battleshipretention.com or email Tyler, Tyler, at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the weekly television podcast, Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. This week... We will be talking about The Amazing Race and Ooh. Back in the Game, which Paul made me watch and I didn't like at all. Um, well, now people have no reason to listen. <laughs> we'll talk, they have talk to find out how to get back in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that's where you can find us. Aaron, or sorry, Aaron, where can people find you and your work on the internet? I just got a p- bunch of things. Um, out Now with Aaron and Abe is the podcast that I host. It is a weekly film review show where we talk about the biggest film release of the week. Um, David, you were a guest on there not on too long ago. On your best episode ever. Uh, yeah. Talking least, about the world's end. Yeah, top three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> be happy to have Tyler on at some point Hey, well. all right. I'm waiting for that. <laughs> um, I also, we've I've started a new podcast recently called the Ichapod Cranecast. It is the best titled podcast regarding the Fox series Sleepy Hollow, where me and some friends talk about every episode of the Fox series Sleepy Hollow, which has been ridiculously fun to watch. That's what I hear. I should watch it. Um, I also write for whysoblue.com, blue as in Blu-ray. That is a site voted to mainly blu-ray reviews but i handled kind of the theatrical reviews on that site as well as at my own personal blog the code is zeke.com and i'm at twitter at twitter.com slash aaron's ps3 all right all right <laughs> uh, i should specify by the way i meant to uh, earlier that uh, at my uh, over on my podcast more than one lesson uh october was devoted to uh halloweeny type movies um and uh, and topics in general the first week we talked with uh noted horror icon bill obers jr and then we spoke with uh uh, sorry we didn't speak and then we talked about paranorman and then i love paranorman one of my favorite movies last year and then we talked about warm bodies good i didn't see it decent yeah it's it's actually a pretty good movie uh and then uh by the time this goes up uh our most recent episode will be about the exorcist so cool okay so check that out um thank you all uh, thank you aaron for being here happy to be here for so long for so long yeah talking about horror movies for three hours (laughs) great (laughs) i love this
Two, two hours and 33 minutes so far. Yeah, um, it's almost the length of The Shining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. 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 This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.